This program is brought to you by the Genesis Communications Network, a world leader in talk radio since 1998. Visit GCNlive.com today. Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Fortunately, we have such a great guest who will probably be doing most of the talking on this episode of the Paracast that you won't have to put up with me and my head cold, which I just got like the day before. And Chris has what he calls Zuni reservation crud, which is kind of a cold too, that he gets every so often. So regardless of what you call it, we're both in less than ideal shape. <laughs> but That's we have a great way to have our guests be introduced on the show. <laughs> we try to be original about it. And Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum is a very special guest. Well, I, you know, I have stuff myself full of cough suppressant and all the things that go along with having a really bad uh, respiratory virus actually so but i'm i'm really excited uh dr meldrum to have you on the show it's, i've been a, a a huge fan of your work for for years since you've um, you've been in the public eye um anything that i see with your name on it um has instant credibility for me uh, i am an experiencer i had uh, my own possible Bigfoot encounter. Uh, I didn't see it, but I sure heard it and smelled it. So this has been a subject that has been uh, near and dear to my heart for, for many years. And I I just am so um, so honored and pleased to have you on the show. You are known for being one of the very few credentialed scientists who's been willing to to say, well, wait a minute, we can't just throw this out and, and um, call hairy hominids, uh, which are found all around the world, allegedly. We just can't call this uh, some sort of um, myth or legend. There's there's enough evidence to suggest that this is something that science should be uh, taking seriously, and at least at least not dismissing it out of hand, as um, many of the topics we discuss here on the Paracast are dismissed out of hand uh, by the scientific and academic communities. Uh, I prefer to call these subjects proto scientific. <laughs> subject. So it's really a, a, an honor and a pleasure again to have you on the show. Welcome. Glad to be here. Thanks for the thanks for the opportunity. To start off, Jeff, I wanted to ask you about your interests. As Chris was making clear, you're one of the few academics who tackles subjects of this nature. What attracted you to it? Well, my my background is in anatomy, but also uh, physical anthropology and. And when I'm not teaching students uh, over a, a human cadaver, I'm doing research on the uh, evolutionary adaptations of the human body for, for our particular mode of locomotion, that is walking on two legs. So, so the evolution, the timing and pattern of the adaptations associated with uh, bipedalism have been foremost in, in my research interests. And so on the one hand, I, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest and certainly was familiar with the subject of Sasquatch was introduced to it, uh, boy, and it was in 1968 when uh, Roger Patterson came through Spokane, Washington and showed his documentary featuring that famous film clip, 60-second film clip from Bluff, Bluff Creek. But, you know, my, my uh, real involvement in this from an academic point of view came about 
in 96 when, uh, so it's been, gee, 20 years now, that uh, I was brought up face to face with a very fresh set of footprints. And, you know, what, <laughs> what could be more fascinating for a student of human bipedalism than to be a direct witness to trace evidence of another bipedal primate? And so on that level, on, on that academic or intellectual level, it, uh, you know, it dovetails with my, my research interests perfectly. Perfect natural experiment, if such a creature exists, to better understand our own evolutionary history. But uh, it goes without saying that the subject has this intrinsic uh, quality to it, that it, it's a mystery. And, you know, I've always loved the, the things that, that were lurking there on the fringes uh, of science, of scientific knowledge. Because for me, science has always been about exploration. I mean, I get, I'm disciplined enough that I can put in the hard knocks and do the rote work in, in uh, a research lab or in the field. But, but for me, my, 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 my thrill is in exploration. I mean, it's, it's in asking questions that have confounded the experts or have, have been, um, you know, as, as you discussed, have been neglected or uh, dismissed. It's the what if questions and with, with a firm, solid footing, uh, a basis in, in uh, you know, hard evidence. I mean, I, I was once confronted by a past department chairman who chided me by saying, well, after all, Jeff, these are just stories. <laughs> and I looked at him for a moment. I said, well, just stories that leave footprints, that shed hair, that void scat, that vocalize, that are witnessed by credible, experienced um, outdoorsmen and, and hunters and, and professionals. I said, it's a, it's a lot more than just stories. And uh, Good comeback. Yeah, yeah, well, for all the good it did. <laughs> well, you know, we'll get into this later, but I'm sure there is some blowback from, from expressing an interest and, and being public about it. Um, it's one thing to have a private interest and have it be kind of a closet subject that you're researching. It's another thing to dovetail your work with other investigators, uh, field field people, um, ask for, for samples and, and be very public about it. And, you know, I want to get into that's a whole subject in and of itself. But before we get too long uh, down the road here, we, we just have a couple of minutes left uh, for this segment. But you, you mentioned seeing back uh, as a kid, seeing the Patterson-Gimlin film. Where do you come down on the uh, uh, whether that's a legitimate piece of visual evidence or a well-executed hoax? I'm absolutely 100 percent, well, 99.99 percent convinced that that is, is absolutely legitimate. I mean, I've I've looked at it from so many different angles. If I had nothing but the footprints that were documented on that scene, uh, let alone the film that shows the correlated actions of the, the foot of the film subject, whatever it may be in, in everyone's mind, I would be on that basis alone convinced. But adding to that, as I said, the, the depiction of the actual subject, uh, not only the, the actions of the foot during those those several steps but but the anatomy from head to toe i mean it's a fascinating exercise to just literally go through and examine the anatomy and i do that with my students sometimes my uh, physical therapy students particularly at the uh, last day when we're having reviews we wrap things up sometimes i'll i'll pop this up on the screen and uh, i've got a very high quality gif of, of a clip of a, a loop of, of this thing uh, close up very crisp very clear 
You can pick out individual muscle groups, and I'll have them do that. I'll say, now identify as much of the surface anatomy that you can that you can observe here, and then I go even further and say, now what what is there odd about the way in which it walks? Because we we will have discussed the determinants of human gait, right. and uh, and some of the parameters of of normal human walking, and there are very uh, dramatic and obvious contrasts in the way this thing walks. It's not simply a man in a fur suit, and anyone who says that just doesn't have the wherewithal to evaluate it with any credibility. Right. Plus, the the actual uh, trackway uh, indicates uh, an animal of, of, of considerable weight. <laughs> right. Weight and size, exactly. And yeah. so, it, uh, yeah, it's it's a fascinating. You know, here we are, we're coming up on the fiftieth anniversary of that right. that film next year, and uh, and we're still having these same conversations. I'm, yeah. you know, a lot of a lot of work has been done. It's interesting that that perennially it seems that there are uh, skeptics who take shots at it from various uh, quarters, and invariably it emerges even with more luster than it than it had previously. Uh, many cases we're able to, with that renewed interest, we're able to go back at it with technologies that weren't available, and and identify details that were completely uh, unobserved, unobservable back right. in 1967 when Patterson made the film, but are there, and with the right technologies, can be brought out, can be observed, can be understood better in ways that, uh, you know, uh, a hoaxer in 1967 could never have anticipated, let alone have incorporated into that piece of footage. Let's do our break here, guys. We have Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum, and we're looking at the scientific side of Bigfoot research to see what kind of answers we can achieve from it. This is going to be a real special episode, folks. So listen on with Gene and Chris. You're in The Paragast. Neighbors, I want to tell you about my favorite graphics app. It's the award-winning Graphic Converter. You know, Graphic Converter is the universal genius for photo editing on your Mac. Join over one and a half million loyal users for this Swiss Army Knife photo editing app. It gives you all you expect from a top-flight image editing app with tons of features. And most important, it's easy to use. It's also far less expensive than that other app that you can only get by subscription. You know, the one I'm talking about. What's more, you can get 20% off with your order right now. So write this down to learn about Graphic Converter. Go to www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. Let me spell that. www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. All right, guys, we're ready for our Four Seasons sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room, weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for Four Seasons Now. 
To find out more, call toll-free 800-848-6333. That's 800-848-6333. cell phones against our heads every day. But now, a landmark U.S. government study confirms increased health risks from exposure to EMF radiation emitted from these devices. The time to protect yourself is now. The solution is Defender Shield. Proudly made in the USA, Defender Shield blocks virtually 100% of EMF radiation emitted from cell phones, tablets, and laptops. Buy now at DefenderShield.com. Use discount code DEFENDER for 10% off. DefenderShield.com, the worldwide leader in EMF radiation protection. This is a life-changing message for anyone with sleep apnea who is on the go and tired of dragging around a big, bulky home CPAP device. Now there's finally a portable device that's as small as a soda can and weighs less than a pound. You can even add a battery that's as tiny as a deck of cards. It's the Transcend Mini CPAP. And if you're one of the first 100 callers, you can try Transcend risk-free for 10 days. So call now, 1-800-441-9833. Transcend is the world's first portable mini CPAP device. It gives you the freedom to sleep in total comfort anywhere you are. Our smallest and most advanced portable design ever, Transcend is so small and so light, you can fit it in your briefcase or purse to use anywhere you go. It's FAA compliant too, so you can even sleep comfortably while flying. To guarantee your 10-day in-home trial, you must be one of the first 100 callers to call minicpap.com now. 1-800-441-9833. Again, that's 1-800-441-9833. In these uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel-burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Miniman Rocket Stove is a biomass-burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Miniman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, Go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Before we go on, we're doing a real special for the holidays for the Paracast Plus. And that is, I put up three episodes from our premium area to give you an idea of what it's all about. It goes back to our episode of February 28th, 2016, the 10th anniversary episode. So we have the commercial-free version. We have the After the Paracast podcast where we continue that interview And we've got an interview from The Other Side of Truth that Paul Kimball did with the ever-controversial Dr. Stephen Greer. It's all available from our forums. And I'll give you an idea of what we offer in the Paracast Plus, which is, of course, the commercial-free version of the show, the After the Paracast podcast, a growing video library, and lots more. And the price begins at $4.99 a month, our price cheap. Check out plus.theparacast.com, P-L-U-S.theparacast.com. We have Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum. He's a scientist who is exploring the mysteries of Bigfoot. Now, you're pointing, Jeff, to your research into how humans began to walk upright and things like that. Do we think Bigfoot is kind of maybe a lost generation of humanoid that just didn't die off? 
Well, certainly. The, the question is where where would it plug into the family tree and how how far afield would we go to include it? For me, there are basically, I think, two reasonable working hypotheses, uh, and, and they're that. They're simply that. I mean, it, it kind of gets the cart before the horse to really uh, expend too much energy um, other than to establish a, a sort of a theoretical context for considering it, but uh, about what Sasquatch is before we acknowledge that indeed it exists. But for me, there's there's two possibilities. One, it has, well, both have been suggested by, by previous investigators and researchers. I think uh, John Green was one of the first to suggest a connection with Gigantopithecus, uh, as well as there were others back then too. But uh, we know that this giant ape existed in Eastern Asia, uh, well into the Pleistocene, perhaps as recently as 200,000 years ago. And so in Gigantopithecus, we have something that's the right size in the right place at the right time. But others, many have, have pointed out, we only have jaws and teeth. We don't have any postcranial skeletal remains that would, that would determine with confidence whether this creature was upright standing or not. Um, there are things that, in my mind, tip the scales in that direction. Dr. Krantz made an argument about the angles of the, uh, the bodies of the, the lower mandible that has been preserved, which suggests a position of the neck forward between the, those uh, two halves, two sides of the jaw. And also, there are things, you know, the, the shoulder of a large ape, especially one that has, you know, any inclination to be climbing up in the trees, the shoulder's been modified in such a way that walking on all fours is a bit problematic uh, for the joints of the wrist and the elbow and the shoulder. And this is why chimps and gorillas, one of the reasons why they've adopted this unusual knuckle-walking stance and have evolved that in concert, uh, parallel to one another almost certainly. On the other hand, some would point to bipedalism as being a, a very exclusive adaptation that marks the the advent of the hominin radiation, our, our immediate ancestors and relatives since the divergence from a ancestor shared with chimpanzees, so some seven million years ago, six to seven million years ago. If that's the case, I mean, the thing that you always have to bear in mind when posing this question, and there are those out there, you know, who advocate this is just a lost tribe of people, it's a lost, it's a, just a feral human homo sapiens, and there have been some more creative uh, hypotheses thrown out there, I guess, as well. But if we look at what, what is it that defines homo, uh, the, the, for, for the longest time, until quite recently, the advent of tool use was the signature characteristic of, of uh, the genus homo. That's going to have to be modified now. Just, just a couple of years ago, some discoveries in, in East Africa have shown uh, tool marks on uh, on archaeological remains, on bones, dating back to a time coincident with late uh, Australopithecines. But the point simply is, when you look at Sasquatch, there's no there's no material culture, there's no evidence of, of stone tools or even you know modified sticks or branches that are that are used uh, consistently. It's all opportunistic, uh, whacking of trees or, or breaking and brandishing of sticks, you know, in a threat display. There's no evidence of home bases. There's no evidence of fire control. There's no evidence really of complex social structure. Uh, most sightings are of solitary individuals. Most footprints are of solitary individuals or females with, with offspring in tow. So if it is a hominid, it would have to be a very early radiation, early divergence. 
Now, one of my predecessors, Gordon Strasenberg, was a strong advocate for Paranthropus. It, it was an interesting one. Paranthropus shares some of the same kinds of, of hypertrophy of the chewing apparatus that we see in Gigantopithecus. Big, deep jaws and, and uh, thick molar enamel, enlarged, enlarged premolars and tiny incisors and uh, canine teeth, non-projecting canine teeth, which allows for that side-to-side motion during chewing. And I always kind of, uh, I thought, well, how, how could that be? I mean, here, uh, the, the fossil record for Paranthropus, you know, ceased about, uh, oh, one and a half million years ago in East Africa. And, and Paranthropus only stood about five and a half, you know, five foot eight males, perhaps. So it's, it, it's the wrong size in the wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> and I thought that would have ruled it out, except that, just recently, you're probably aware of the discovery of Homo floresiensis, yeah. the hobbit in Southeast yep. Asia, with a, a remarkably recent age of as young as perhaps 50,000 years now, as it's been modified up a little bit, but still 50,000 years is just a snap of the fingers in geologic time. Well, how do you, and, and, and everything points to Homo floresiensis being a very early homo or even late australopithecine. Skeletal anatomy, the thing has a brain the size of a chimpanzee. It's, it's postcranial skeleton. Its lower limbs, for example, look just like a chimpanzee or an australopithecine. So how do you, how do you connect the dots from a, a late australopithecine, early homo in East Africa or at the very best, perhaps, in Asia Minor, making its way all the way to Southeast Asia without leaving any fossil record in between that we've discovered yet. Yeah, there's so much that we don't know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So anyway, so that's not out of the question at all either. Something like a, a robust Australopithecine that, that as it spread, its range spread across South Asia into uh, Eastern Asia, could have achieved gigantism, just as so many other mammals did during the early Pleistocene, uh, and, uh, and expanded its range into North America. Or Giganopithecus would be another. So those, well, we are, know, my, those are my We know it could go the other way because the, the, the hobbits um, actually uh, sort of devolved uh, in terms of their size, probably because of the, the environment, and they became smaller to, uh, <laughs> well, to adapt to their, yeah, to their environment. Let's do our break, guys. Yeah, we've, got, we've got more to come with Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum and Gene and Chris. We're learning a lot. The scientific look at... Bigfoot and the possibilities. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. The EPA says the air in our homes is up to five times more contaminated than outside air. The solution is not just to filter your air, but detox it. UVforlife.com now offers a doctor-recommended UVforlife.com sterilization unit to kill over 99% of viruses, bacteria, molds, and dangerous chemicals. Go to UVforlife.com. Add promo code GCN at checkout to save $100. That's UV, the number four, life.com. UVforlife.com. Don't just filter your air. Detox it. 
Lifetime grazed 100% grass-fed beef has the health benefits you seek. When compared to conventional beef, it offers good fats while virtually eliminating the bad. That's the result of cattle who never eat grain, ever. Rich in antioxidants, including vitamin E, C, beta-carotene, and CLA. No artificial hormones, antibiotics, or other drugs. For all our fresh, non-cooked products with only 100% grass-fed beef, go to MidasResources.com. Use voucher code GCN to get 30% off your order. MidasResources.com or find us on Facebook. Hi, Peter Vaccaro for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up for free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, mysteries, ghosts, UFOs, and the afterlife, and so much more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you. People seeking a viable alternative to the other dating services. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com, and if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more, and this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com, ParanormalDate.com and use the code GEORGE if you decide to connect with someone you like. Are you happy washing your hands with harsh chemicals? Are you happy doing laundry with detergents? Are you happy paying high prices? Find your happiness with Pure Soap. These all-natural, earth-friendly Pure Soaps are the very best you've ever used. Buy in bulk. Get a 12, 36, or 48-month supply. Or get items individually and still save big. You're getting soap products twice as good as what you're using now. Earth-friendly and natural soaps. Your family deserves the best. Happiness is 5starsoap.com. Why not put your money up the drain for a change? See them at 5starsoap.com. Or call 1-800-340-7091 for a catalog. Calben Soap Company can save you thousands of dollars and give you good old-fashioned real soaps that are triple concentrated. Soaps made from vegetable and coconut oils. See their full selection of soaps at 5starsoap.com. That's F-I-V-E starsoap.com. Or call 1-800-340-7091 for a catalog. Is negative content or comments on the web affecting your personal or professional reputation? Unfavorable comments, embarrassing pictures, videos, legal documents, and negative articles can ruin your personal life, your career, or your business. It happens a lot, and it's just not fair. But what can you do? ReputationDefender.com can help protect your good name. Get a free consultation now. Call 800-831-0771. That's 800-831-0771. Call right now for a free expert reputation analysis. It's easy to squash the unfair attacks with our patented system, and the analysis is absolutely free. Make the best things about you jump out in searches. Protect your personal and professional reputation, your business, and your income. Get your free reputation analysis from ReputationDefender.com right now. Call 800-831-0771. 800-831-0771. That's 800-831-0771. Or visit ReputationDefender.com today. This is Jacques Vallée, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. If Chris sounds a little bit hoarse there, it's because he's <laughs> suffering from the creeping rot. 
it's the Zuni crud. Uh, the Zuni crud, the creeping rod. I'm suffering from who knows what. But I have the tissue here, and I've taken the antihistamines, which have done nothing to my voice, as most of you will notice. And we're plugging on, but we don't have to worry about it because we have Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum here. He will keep us going, even when we run astray. Chris? I have a quick question, though. Um, going through the... Um you know the report logs and and uh, witness descriptions and and looking at at regional types of Sasquatch or Bigfoot, you do tend to see size variation, uh, variation in description of how muscled they are. Some appear to be smaller in stature, like the skunk apes, uh, for instance. Uh, the wild man or the almastes, uh, uh, for instance, are, are seem to be a smaller version. How how can we account for what appear to be different types? Right. Well, one of the things that has started to take shape and, and a, a theme that I've been pounding the drum about that is, is uh, altering the anthropological community's perception of the place for this notion rests on, on two principles. One is that, that we, there's a growing appreciation, and this has been happening over the past oh, three or four decades now, that, that the hominid niche is not an exclusive club as was once thought. It was once believed that, that it was such an odd combination of adaptations, there could be only one species in it at a time. Now we know that uh, from, from a burgeoning, well, burgeoning, I guess, is a relative term, but uh, a growing fossil record of hominid evolution, that there were multiple species coexisting across the landscape at any given time in the past. So if you could step in a time machine and say, go back two million years to East Africa, you might bump into, you know, at least, well, right now are known at least four species of hominid. Um, if you could go back to East Asia, as recently as 20,000 years ago, you might bump into any of, of a half a dozen different species living alongside Homo sapiens. So those two recognitions, those two acknowledgments, one that there has been this, the rule rather than the exception has been the contemporaneity of many differently adapted hominid species living side by side across the landscape through time, and two, the fact that new revelations, recent revelations, have shown that many of these branches, several of these branches, not many, but several of these branches have persisted until more recently than ever recognized. So we have hobbits that are at least as young as 50,000 years. We have uh, just recently a, a, a mandible of a Homo erectus was dredged up off the coast of uh, Taiwan in a fisherman's net, and it was dated to 10,000 years ago. We have occupation sites attributed to Neanderthal that are perhaps as young as 10,000 years. We have Homo heidelbergensis in uh, found a specimen outside of uh, Beijing that's less than 20,000 years. I mean, th these were dates that were, would be unthinkable in, in the recent past. So why, in the face of that mounting evidence, on the one hand, and on the other hand, in the face of so much evidence and so much ethnographic tradition that there were several types of, of wild men, as you pointed out, the very Neanderthal-like Almasti, the little Australopithecine-like hobbit, uh, or perhaps Orang Pendek, uh, you know, the, the modern or the uh, 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 recent equivalent, the uh, Himalayan Yeti that all evidence, the best evidence, points to a divergent big toe that would suggest it's a much more ape-like form, still inhabiting the uh, subtropical to temperate forests of the Himalayas. And the Sasquatch, with its equivalents 
seen in China, in Southeast Asia, in in the Caucasus Mountains. I was recently over in Russia and followed up on a sighting of a creature that whose description was remarkably similar to Sasquatch and left 17-inch footprints that were essentially indistinguishable uh, in all their characteristics and their and their uh, um, you know s- specifics contrast to human footprints uh, remarkably similar to a Sasquatch track. What I'm hearing and what you're saying is that humanoid species are both older and newer than we previously suspected that some branches survive for a longer period of time and might therefore still survive. That's right. Absolutely. So the term I like to apply to that is relic hominoid, a species that once was more widespread but now is restricted, uh, now persists into the present in a more restricted range and distribution. And of course, hominoid is uh, refers to the superfamily hominoidea, which includes us and the great apes. So it would encompass, you know, things that are very ape-like, like the yeti, or things that could be early hominins, like the sasquatch, and things that could be very closely related to us, like the almas. Now, this is interesting here because I listen to you and I'm hearing a scientist simply explain in a very logical way why these things can be. So why is it that scientists do not appear to accept any of this? It doesn't sound to me like it's anything outside the realm of logic at all. Well, that's that's the case that I've been trying to make. You know, like I said, I've been beating this drum for for quite a number of years. And now the the evidence is becoming sort of overwhelming it's 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 undeniable and but some lessons are 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 slow to be learned and as i said there was this paradigm this notion of a single species that um, was very influential in anthropology back in the you know back in the 60s and so you know ivan sanderson wrote this uh encyclopedic tome in which he he marshaled all this evidence for subhuman species around the world. But when he presents that to the academic community in 1961, when it was published, that was right at the heyday of the notion that there could be only one hominid species at a time. And it was only subsequently in the 70s that the fossil record began to expand to the point that it was you know, just undeniable that there were multiple species coexisting that it, you know, it wasn't an exclusive club, and it's just been slow for that to to um, finally take root, and and even with the acknowledgement of that, it still was felt. You know, basically the the argument was just was just drop kicked further down the pike. You know, kick the can down the road to apply to modern humans. Well, modern humans, because of our culture and our technology and our intelligence, you know, we have driven all these other hominids to extinction. Well, that's a big assumption when we have footprints and visual sightings of hominoids in, you know, in Eastern Asia and, uh, and uh, Asia Minor and Siberia, uh, when we have reports of Sasquatch in North America and we have reports of little people, the Orang Pendek in Southeast Asia. I mean, that's the point. So um, you forgot the Yowie. <laughs> well, yeah. I, well, the Yowie, you know, the Yowie is a little bit radioactive for me. <laughs> um, you know my my uh, my expertise is in footprints, and we there still hasn't been presented a, a convincing footprint case 
you know, a, a case based on footprint evidence that we have a hominoid or a hominid in, in Australia. So what exactly we're dealing with there, it's one that fascinates me, and I've, and I've read widely on it, but I've always kind of dropped a little bit. Uh, I'm not sure exactly yet. I haven't, I haven't uh, uh, followed my train of thought out to its uh, conclusion as of yet. But the point I wanted to make, though, is, is while the, the formal institutional scientific community still is reluctant, this is the backdrop, I guess I should say. But but there is also another veneer, and that is this notion of skepticism and and the uh, the misplaced label of pseudoscience when it applies to the search for Sasquatch and other relic hominoids. And that is another issue that we've had to deal with: is you know the show me the body, uh, the man mantra that uh, Michael Shermer likes to chant. Right. Um, you know, he, they want the conclusion before the evidence is analyzed. Right. <laughs> we'll have more to discuss with Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum. And Gene and Chris, you're in The Barragast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items. And entails t-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast jumbo tote bag, all sorts of t-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have... A Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality. You know, great t-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.theparacast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour. Don't know what contaminants are lurking in your water? Time to get a ProPure. Take advantage of ProPure's holiday sale. Save 25% on all ProPure water filter products. Sales good through December 31st. There's a ProPure water filter for you. Visit your authorized ProPure dealer for details or ProPureUSA.com. That's P-R-O-P-U-R-U-S-A.com. Paid non-attorney spokesperson Adam Pulaski of the Pulaski Law Firm with principal office in Houston, Texas is the attorney responsible for the content of this ad. This ad is not legal advice and the choice of a lawyer should not be based solely upon advertisement. Services may not be available in all states. Attention Zarelto users. If you or a loved one took Zarelto and suffered a serious bleeding event, you may be entitled to financial compensation. Zarelto is a popular prescription blood thinner used to prevent blood clots and protect patients from strokes. These serious bleeding events have led to numerous cases of hospitalization and even death. Phone lines are open 24-7. Call 800-261-0937. That's 800-261-0937. 
Is there a stock market bubble in the making? You need an early warning system for your investments because you've worked too hard to be surprised by your money. Now, guarding your wealth has never been easier. Introducing WealthGuard from OnTheMarkMoney.com, an early warning system that tracks all your accounts. WealthGuard lets you know in advance if your accounts are dropping. It works for all accounts, whether you work with us or not. Get WealthGuard today, 100% free. Go to OnTheMarkMoney.com. That's OnTheMarkMoney.com. What would your life be like if you woke up each morning with new vitality, feeling better than you have in years, and you noticed a difference in your sleeping patterns, blood sugar levels, and had a sense of well-being overall? There's something that is changing thousands of people's lives, and you could be one of them. It's called Heart and Body Extract. Sharon Harris, co-creator of Heart and Body Extract, talks about the positive effects of Heart and Body Extract. What happens with the formula Heart and Body Extract is it's giving the body the necessary vitamins, minerals, amino acids, enzymes, and phytonutrients so, so the body will heal itself. And yes, the body does have the ability to balance blood pressure, balance cholesterol, clean and unclog the arteries. It can also work on uh, balancing the circulation for diabetics. So the body is an amazing thing. It simply needs some help so it has the tools to heal itself. Heart and Body Extract gets results. To order your two-month supply, call now, toll-free at 866-295-5305. Order online at hbextract.com. This is Ben Gordon, and if your teeth are stained from coffee, tea, or smoking, Power Swabs is the answer. In five minutes, you'll see two shades whiter teeth, and in seven days, six shades. There's no messy strips or trays that you have to leave in your mouth for an hour. Just swab your teeth for five minutes, and you're done. To try Power Swabs, call 1-800-290-8480. Your bright white smile will have your friends talking about how great you look. Try it risk-free. 1-800-290-8480. That's 1-800-290-8480. Hello, this is John Burroughs, one of the witnesses to the Rendlesham UFO incident. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Now, my head cold feels a little bit better. I think it's because it's such an enjoyable episode. Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum is here to talk about discoveries into Bigfoot Sasquatch. And it's an up to set off Siri. Sorry, I couldn't find anything like that. <laughs> You're not looking, Siri. That's the problem. This has been happening more and more lately. I think it's some kind of psychosomatic ailment or some kind of paranoid or paranormal phenomenon. But seriously speaking, Jeff, is it possible at this point in time to even estimate the population of these creatures around the world? I mean, how many would it take to produce an occasional sighting and how many would we need to just have evidence all over the place right well i, I have not tackled the, that issue on a global scale certainly but but just to give an example on a, on a more local scale because i'm often asked this how many sasquatch do you think there are and i always try to emphasize the the rarity you know and the comeback is always well how, how do you sustain a viable reproductive population well, that's a real nebulous concept. And, you know, if you dig a little bit, you'll find that there is no standard. There's no scale, really. It, it depends entirely upon the genetic load, the genetic, uh, you know, deleterious recessive load that a population bears, uh, which, which if it's high, then that precipitates, you know, inbreeding depression. Um, you know, you don't you don't marry your cousin because the chance of the two of you having some 
harmful recessive gene cropping up in your children then becomes statistically very high. But if your gene pool is fairly free of those kinds of mutations, then a population can muddle along just fine. You know, mountain gorillas went through a bottleneck uh, where their population was reduced to below 200. And they've rebounded now. I think yeah. there's between 600, 800, with no signs of, of you know, deleterious effects of inbreeding. Their gene pool could uh, tolerate that. Now, one rule of thumb, if you do do some research or dig into that, that's thrown out by some for vertebrates would be about a thousand individuals to have a reasonably viable population. Well, that's easily accommodated in North America for Sasquatch. Yeah. You know, a little exercise, I'll, and I won't go through the whole thing with you here, but you know, we have some suggestive evidence from which we can infer that you know, being solitary, they probably have a very large range given the habitat, you know, depending on the habitat too, how that range may vary considerably. But let's say a thousand square miles, and in that thousand square miles, a male, may a solitary male, may defend or patrol an area that overlaps that of some females. So, say in a thousand square miles, there's one dominant male and one or two, maybe three females, and probably a couple offspring in the mix there. Let's just say five individuals. Well, if you look at a map of Idaho, and and also bear in mind one more factor, there's a pretty good correlation it seems between credible Sasquatch sightings and precipitation. It seems that these creatures require a habitat that uh, is associated with about 16 to 18 inches or more of precipitation. So, so more temperate. Yeah, temperate but moist. I mean, they need moist forests. The, the core habitat seems to be Douglas fir forests, you know, in a rich understory, say with blueberry and other, other uh, fruiting shrubs and so forth. Um, there, there has to be water. They seem to be wet, wet, pretty wet apes, you know, require wet habitat. But in any case, you look at Idaho, how many thousand square mile plots could you fit into the areas of Idaho that have a suitable habitat associated with that kind of rainfall? Well, there's about 12, maybe 14. That's going to vary, obviously, with surface area, given topography and given patchiness of the habitat, etc. Et I mean, these are very coarse numbers. But if that's in a ballpark, five times 12, there's only about 60 Sasquatch in the entire state of Idaho. There's 20,000 black bear in Idaho, by comparison. Right. It, it, that could also explain why we haven't found skeletons, why we, we exactly. don't find uh, you, you know, more evidence, uh, physical evidence of their, of their passing, shall we say. Because if, if you add to those numbers the fact that they are probably long-lived, large apes, and, and, and there's a good correlation, positive correlation of longevity with body size. So they could live to be 50, 60 years old easily. So of those 60 that are in Idaho, how many of them are in their golden years? That are going to die a natural death because they, they wouldn't have any natural predators. You know, there's not many things that would give uh, uh, an 800-pound gorilla cause for concern out in the forests of North America. So, you know, how often is a death even going to occur in Idaho, for example, using our case? You know, it may be at one, one in 10 years. And so what are your chances of finding that one body that has secreted itself off in some nook or cranny because it was feeling sick or decrepit or old? And died, uh, you know, uh, removed from from its surroundings. Um, it, you, you, when you when you think in terms of that degree of rarity, then the objections to the lack of of that f definitive con uh, physical evidence 
aren't really so damning after all. Right, but if there are no predators directly and no impediments to population, wouldn't that population grow over time somewhat? Well, not necessarily, because because the rate of reproduction is very low in, in large apes. So you look at, say, orangutans, uh, just as an example, a female will only give birth every six to eight years, and, and they're very slow to develop. So that whole life history cycle, it's, it's not like rabbits or rats reproducing, or even deer or elk reproducing, or even bear. I mean, it's it's, you know, potentially four times. I think bears' life expectancy is somewhere between, you know, 20 and 30 years. As, so this is, is twice to three times that length uh, with a much lower rate of reproduction. So, no, I don't think it would. And, and it's not to say even without natural predators, you know, there's still there's accidents, there's illness, there's, there could be starvation due to hard winters or, or, or whatever. But... Yeah, I, I, and of course, then we've got, you know, anytime you add to the mix habitat uh, degradation and fragmentation, that's also going to affect the ability of especially these lone solitary individuals to find a mate, you know, to get together for procreation. And so, uh, no, I, I don't think we would expect burgeoning populations. This this is the, the challenge of, of conserving the other great apes. You know, when a, when a gorilla population goes down to a bottleneck like the mountain gorillas did it takes them uh decades to rebound right you know that's not even even mentioning the vast spaces in british columbia and parts of alberta that uh very few people have ever even been i mean there's millions of acres up there that are virgin untapped there's no way in no way out there may be you know a breeding population up there that's then kicking out the young males uh, to go out on their own, that's but right. one one thing that's always surprised me, uh, and and this is a, a a figure that you could obviously argue <laughs> about Sasquatch sightings in Oklahoma and Kansas, but according to my research, um, these types of of creatures have been seen in forty eight of fifty states, seen and reported, and uh, that that is is uh, unbelievable. I mean, w- where would a Bigfoot hide? Or the Dupont monster, as he's called, in southern Illinois. <laughs> well, I, you know? I think you you use the operative word there. It, it is rather unbelievable. I just have a real hard time. If you open up a, a field guide to mammals, Peterson's field guide to mammals, and turn to the range map of black bears, which are another large omnivore, uh, while they may they may partition that niche, I, I'm sure they partition that niche a bit differently. Still, they have some of the basic habitat requirements that we've associated with uh, Sasquatch. You know, look at the range distribution there, and it doesn't cover all 48 of you know states. The, right. And so I'm, I, I, you know, I always challenge the the uh, would be uh, reporters to to corroborate their visual sighting with footprint evidence yeah, and even the footprint evidence. evidence has to be examined carefully i mean it's been my experience I, I think those numbers are grossly overinflated because when i've had the opportunity to uh, uh track down and examine footprint evidence you know you cannot you cannot take someone at their word because most uh, uh um i mean ex- with a few exceptions i mean there are experienced um qualified uh, authoritative uh, witnesses out there no doubt but um, you know a lot of the footprint examples 
that are uh, shared with me are, you know, they could be potholes, they could be misidentified bear, lots of misidentified human footprints. Um, you, you, I, you know, it just requires that I really look at that. So I can't take those reports on paper at face value, and especially in a visual account where all you have is the ability of that individual to uh, describe their experience. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's not necessarily reliable. We've got more to come with Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum and Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. I'm David Hall, founder of Diamond Gusset Jeans, here to wish you all a Merry Christmas. For over 20 years, we have built a loyal customer base with 100% American-made jeans featuring enhanced fit, comfort, durability, and style. Today, all of our inventory is discounted by 20%, so don't delay. Enjoy a wonderful shopping experience at gusset.com. Thanks for keeping our American dream alive, the original Diamond Gusset Gene. By now you know that wireless technology like cell phones do in fact pose dangers to the health and privacy of everyone. Blockit Pocket's wide range of products are unmatched in providing the protection you deserve. No scare tactics, just common sense. BlockitPocket.com offers quality American-made options to alleviate and eliminate these invisible dangers. Learn more at BlockitPocket.com or call 888-315-9618. BlockitPocket.com, enhancing health and privacy. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Now, a little bit later in the episode, we've got a number of questions from our listeners, which they posted in the Paracast forums at forum.theparacast.com. We're talking to Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum, one of the few academics who takes... Bigfoot seriously. Now, with all this stuff and all this logic you're presenting us, why is it that science isn't giving it more attention? It sounds to me like just a natural evolution of their studies of different species of humanoids and other creatures. Right. Well, I think we're slowly getting to that point. And I have, uh, in some capacities, interaction with my colleagues uh, where they are quite open. I edit 
an online scholarly journal with an editorial board that consists of PhDs and other professionals with the appropriate uh, you know, skill sets. I also, through that, in that capacity, recruit reviewers or commentators on submissions to that journal. And I, you know, I go after the, the best and the most uh, prominent uh, experts in, in the various uh, fields. And many have been quite willing to uh, offer their opinion and, and to give an objective scholarly commentary on those submissions. But it still, it still has such a stigma attached to it that many are, are unwilling to jeopardize their career, their reputation. And I certainly wouldn't encourage a young uh, assistant professor uh, just starting down their career path to get mired in the controversy that surrounds it, unfortunately, openly. It's too, <laughs> I can speak from experience. Because I was not even enough idealistic enough to jump into the deep end of the pool before I had tenure. It was a, a bloody, bruising battle to get through that gauntlet because of the narrow-mindedness of, of many of my uh, colleagues in my department and campus. So, But on the other hand, the, the reaction has spanned the gambit from my colleagues. There are those who are, who are very, very interested and passionate and about it, curious, passionately curious about it. At the opposite extreme, there are those who have a, I can only describe as a visceral rejection of it for, for various reasons that we've touched on already. Been an interesting, an interesting, uh, what well, I've been at this now since 96, so 20 some years. Well, you, you've managed to emerge fairly uh, unscathed. Uh, so, whatever brand of academic Teflon that you're using, I, I would suggest uh, <laughs> patenting the, uh, the recipe because having dealt with a number of paranormal subjects and, and met uh, scientists who are very interested in the subjects and, and heard, heard about the, uh, you know, the same types of, of problems that they, they would encounter if they attempted to, um, you know, to be more public about their interests. Uh, right. These are toxic uh, subjects. Uh, anytime you have subject areas that are rife with <clears throat> hoaxing, um, rife with, um, shall we say, um, a good science uh, procedurals uh, procedure and the scientific me method not adhered to properly, uh, you're going to run into uh, you're going to run into some real uh, pushback and reluctance. I think on the uh, from the mainstream. Where, where do you come down on Melba Ketchum's attempt uh, a number of years ago? I think in 2012, where she uh, attempted to get some DNA analysis of yeah. um, I think 17 or 19 samples. I, I'm not even sure if that ended up being the final number. Could you give our listeners maybe a little rundown on that? Uh, Sure. particular effort yeah. and what what they did wrong what they did right and how we can improve it next time right well in fact i just uh, published uh, or, or or posted a, in our uh, journal an article by a phd chemist who did a fantastic review of not only uh, dr ketchum's study but uh, dr sykes and a couple of other dna analyses of alleged sasquatch samples and i'd, I'd encourage your reviewers to to check that out, it's at uh, at the Relic Hominoid Inquiry, which is just simply isu.edu forward slash rhi. But he was actually quite quite kind and uh, and pointed out some of the shortcomings. I at this point not so generous in my assessment of that whole thing, having been involved with it. Well, not involved with it, but having been observing it from the sidelines. 
pretty much um, since the since her first exposure to the Sasquatch subject. But in short, because we don't have much time, and I hate to spend too much time on this, absolutely no credibility whatsoever. Nothing in that report is really reliable, uh, or none of the conclusions, let's put it that way, and, and interpretations of the data insofar as the data is reliable and, uh, and, and actually describing um, novel sequences. Like I said, we could spend the whole hour talking about it, but I mean, you mentioned the number of, of samples, so I'll just uh, I'll just comment on that. I think it was in, in excess of a hundred samples. Oh, a hundred! Wow. Yeah, but every one of which, every one of which, at least as reported, yielded Sasquatch DNA in her assessment. Now I've screened dozens and dozens of hair samples that have been submitted to me, and probably ten percent, if that are primate hair, and the question is simply whether it's human or whether it's potentially Sasquatch. And there are, there are some characteristics that, uh, including uh, being uncut, uh, most human hair samples that you pick up have been cut at some point, and the end shows that, uh, that process uh, having taken place. But by far the majority are of common forms of wildlife. People don't recognize or realize that hair persists in the environment to a remarkable degree. Yeah, it's resilient. It's very resilient. And so the odds, uh, you know, to, to illustrate that, there was there's a great book um, on tracking. And I was Elbrock. He talks about uh, hair in the uh, final chapters of his book. And would, when he has students out in the field, and they stop for a lunch break, he won't let them stand up until they pick up 10 strands of hair. And once, he says, you know, at first it seems like that's impossible, but once you get a search image for these fibers, you start finding them all over the place. I mean, they're just everywhere. And so when a, when a witness out there, a would-be witness, whether they actually did encounter a Sasquatch or not, presumably in association, plucks a hair from a fence or from a, a branch of an overhanging, overhanging branch of a tree, they, they may think that that was left by what they saw, but chances are it was, it's been there for quite a while, and it could be one, uh, you know, some of anything. It, uh, so that, uh, the fact that she claimed that all of her samples were, were Sasquatch was... Yeah, I, I, I had no idea that she had said so, that. <laughs> and one of, one of the samples that, that held a, a central position in her whole, her whole analysis enmeshed her study with the... Uh, remarkably dubious experiences of Justin Schmea, the supposed you know killer of a Sasquatch in uh, California, and uh, and I was involved with that from very early on, and it became very obvious that that there was no credibility there, and that the sample that he'd collected was not primate, you know, and I, I all I had to do was look at it under a, a you know a jeweler's loop and. And could tell you that it was it was fur. It was not hair of a primate. It was fur. Uh, at the time, I thought it was most just looking at it visually with a fifteen power loop was probably something like a coyote. It turned out it was bear, as was confirmed by two independent labs separately. And yet, she still included that in her study and said that it was the best sample that she had. Oh God! Yeah. Ouch. So, yeah. It was. It, it was. Unfortunately, we're. It was it was a huge distraction, both that that study and uh, because that prompted me. I mean, our our my principal objective in the field was to garner 
tissues from which we could do DNA analysis. And so when she claimed that she had, you know, dozens and dozens of samples already submitted to her, I kind of pulled back on our on our field efforts and focused. And, you know, it wasn't a waste of time because I focused attention on things like uh, launching the relic hominoid inquiry and our virtual footprints archive and other sort of laboratory-based uh, uh, studies and analyses to further those. But, you know, we were crossing our fingers that she was going to, you know, pull the rabbit out of the hat. Uh, unfortunately, that's what she pulled out of the hat. It's a rabbit, no Sasquatch. A rabbit, a bear, some coyotes, uh, maybe a couple yeah, of Yeah, lions and tigers and bears, oh my. We're going to have more creatures coming at us if we don't do our break. All Dr. Right. Jeffrey Meldrum with Gene and Chris, you're in. Paracast. Neighbors, I want to tell you about my favorite graphics app. It's the award-winning Graphic Converter. You know, Graphic Converter is the universal genius for photo editing on your Mac. Join over one and a half million loyal users for this Swiss Army Knife photo editing app. It gives you all you expect from a top-flight image editing app with tons of features. And most important, it's easy to use. It's also far less expensive than that other app that you can only get by subscription. You know, the one I'm talking about. What's more, you can get 20% off with your order right now. So write this down to learn about Graphic Converter. Go to www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. Let me spell that. www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. Hi, this is Dr. Joel Wallach, the Dead Doctors Don't Lie guy. Have you ever wondered why farmers can keep their livestock lean and healthy just by feeding them minerals in a nutrient-dense diet? Before market, they cut off their minerals, leaving them to crave high-calorie grains to fatten them up. So if weight control is this easy, why does the medical system prescribe invasive surgical gastric bypass for humans? The truth be told, according to research, you can avoid over 900 different diseases just by getting 90 essential nutrients daily. Check us out on the web at sonsoflibertyteam.com and order your Healthy Start Pack and get your 90 for life. Or dial 855-301-TEAM. I said essential, not optional, and every day. Easy. 90 for life on the web at sonsoflibertyteam.com or call 855-301-TEAM. That's 855-301-TEAM. That's 855-301-TEAM. Check us out on the web at sonsoflibertyteam.com at sonsoflibertyteam.com. This is Dan Pilla. Do you owe the IRS money you can't pay? Are tax debts crippling you? I've defended people from the IRS for over 30 years. I've helped thousands and I can help you too. I wrote the book on IRS settlement and I'm telling you, there's no such thing as a hopeless case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX to finally get free of IRS debt. With the IRS's new programs, there's never been a better time to solve your problem. Call 800-34-NO-TAX. That's 800-34-NO-TAX or my website, danpilla.com. Hi, Peter Vaccaro for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up for free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, mysteries, ghosts, UFOs, and the afterlife, and so much more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you. People seeking a viable alternative 
to the other dating services. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com. And if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more. And this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com. ParanormalDate.com. And use the code GEORGE if you decide to connect with someone you like. Attention citizens, this man has received national attention for accurately predicting every major financial trend, including the market crash of 2008. His name is Harry Dent, and in his newly released book, he is making even bigger and bolder predictions that have the potential to devastate the world economy and your personal wealth. You can get a free copy of Harry Dent's bestseller, The Sale of a Lifetime, containing never-before-published information by simply visiting www.saleofalifetime.com forward slash free book. Again, that's saleofalifetime.com forward slash free book. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Welcome back, everyone. We've been talking with Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum here, and and we do have quite a number of questions. We have covered a lot of them already. I have one, though, that I think is the $64,000 question. Do we have any DNA evidence that supports the existence of a a Bigfoot-type animal? Do we have any? Yes. No. Short answer is no. Unfortunately, we don't. I mean, there have been a couple of, of little suggestive things. You may remember the documentary from Monster Quest where we went up to the Snellgrove Lake in Ontario and Uh had rocks thrown at us and there was that infamous nail board or screw board and tissues were collected from that and one of the participants in that outing, Kurt Nelson, uh, went to great lengths to try to get DNA from a, a badly degraded sample and was only able to get a small fragment of about 300 base pairs. But there was an interesting substitution that had not been reported for humans, but was common to chimpanzees. You know, so we know it wasn't chimpanzee DNA up there, but with only 300 bases, and and given the the extraordinary lengths he had to go to to isolate and purify that sample, you know, the more you manipulate, the more chances there are for a misread or some alteration. Right. And so one out of 300 just isn't enough. So that was suggestive. But all the Melba's is unreliable, is not definitive by any means of an of an unknown species and certainly not some hybrid, as she has advocated, had advocated long before she ever had DNA samples. What was the term that she used, the God gene or something that just absolutely blew the the whole thing out of the water just just from that one term? I'm not familiar with that. I it caught it caught me off uh, flat-footed there on that one. I, there I'm was not, some term in there that that just but the the debunkers jumped all over it. Oh well, well, the most ridiculous things was uh, when she published the uh, minimum spanning tree to show the affiliations, the closest affiliations of the sequences to other taxa that she had uh, garnered from from the databases. One of the closest ties was to Galago crassidens, which is a um, you know a galago, it's a, a little prosimian, a lemur-like thing from Madagascar, and she um, 
when when describing this on the radio at one point, she said, you know, this this was struck us as very odd until we learned <laughs> that there was a subfossil lemur that weighed four hundred pounds in Madagascar that only wow. went extinct, you know, ten thousand years ago. I did not know that. Well, yeah, so but so we went from a some subhuman hooking up with a a European human female to now we've got <laughs> we've got a human female of 15,000 years ago in, in Europe somehow making it down to Madagascar to hook up with a 400-pound lemur. Dang, she gets around. And from that produced the lineage that gave rise to Sasquatch in North America. It sounds like a real so, party girl. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, so anyway, so that that's the, the, the lengths that it went to uh, incredulity. But, uh, but then, mm. unfortunately, Dr. Sykes' samples did not seem to yield, well, did, would, reportedly did not yield any DNA that couldn't readily be attributed to, to common forms of wildlife. You know, I had been very hopeful when Dr. Sykes came on the scene that this would be, you know, some redemption for the debacle that was the Ketchum study. And, you know, I think he, he went about it very systematically, although uh, Dr. Hart shows some of the shortcomings in his experimental design as well. And, but nevertheless, I had offered to, you know, as I said, um, when, when I am given hair samples, there's a lot of chaff there to be winnowed away from the, from the kernel. And I offered to screen the samples because I knew that if he put out a call for specimens, he'd receive everything under the sun, you know. And why waste our time and effort on things that are obviously dear or right you got to have a filter or some sort of screening process absolutely you know focus your beam a little bit here and he's and he didn't want to impose any preconceptions on the sampling so as you can expect everything you know his his results were spanned the gambit uh even to porcupine from texas and I, i could hold the porcupine guard hair up to the light and tell you it wasn't a sasquatch hair you know it's that kind of uh unfortunate waste of time and energy and uh, but then there were also some other i mean there were a number of samples that went unaccounted for there were a number that i personally sent to him that that i did screen that matched what we think is the gold standard of morphology perfectly i mean they, they these were samples that came from there were a couple from texas there was one from uh british columbia one from washington i remember and uh, they they just you know looked spot on what we think a Sasquatch hair looks like under the microscope. And uh, they didn't seem to be included. So my fear was that there were samples that morphologically were very spot on. But as has been the case in the past, have uh, we've been unable to get DNA from them because they have a feature like a acellular medulla that makes extracting DNA from a hair shaft without an actively growing bulb or follicle uh, rather challenging and so I, I've not followed through with this query to Dr. Sykes but I'm, I suspect that some of the samples that didn't yield DNA went unreported and in mm. fact those might have been the most interesting. Interesting how that uh, that's the case. <laughs> well yeah whatever the case may be we're still unfortunately at, at Home, home plate when it comes to uh, we haven't even got to first base yet when it comes to uh, a DNA analysis to, to demonstrate a, a novel species by that means.
Well, let's uh, get to some of our questions. I have a, one from F. Workman, who's been a, um, a poster at, at forum.theparacast.com. You go to the question bank and you can write your questions out that uh, we then relay on to our guests. This is an interesting one. A number of cases that I've investigated have featured uh, strange premonitions uh, that the witness has uh, or claims to have had before an encounter. And his question is, some witnesses have experienced so-called paranormal happenings or sensations when encountering Bigfoot. And he's wondering if you have any theories why some witnesses have felt a presence, like an abnormal feeling of fear or dread, before a visual olfactory or um, some sort of sonic event that they can, in their own minds, attribute to a Sasquatch. Right. Well, short of appealing to a paranormal or parapsychological explanation, if there is a, a biological explanation, one that I have entertained and, and have discussed at some length in my book, in the chapter on vocalizations, is the the notion of infrasound. And I know that infrasound has gotten a lot of mileage and uh, an embellishment along the way. I think the 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 term of late has been being zapped by a Bigfoot. But there is this interesting combination of, of factors. We, we know now that a lot of animals employ infrasonic frequencies in their vocalizations, whether it's to broadcast to their conspecifics over great distance, like elephants, when it was one of the first terrestrial species. Right, that, they could communicate through 30 feet of concrete. Exactly, and, and over kilometers of distance. More to come with Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum. With Gene and Chris, you're in the Paracast. <laughs> Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. Did you know your car can be hacked just like your computer or phone? Hackers can hijack the signal of your own key fob to burglarize your vehicle in seconds. The Black Hole Faraday Key Fob Bag is a signal impenetrable shield that stops these hacks in their tracks. Protect one of your most valuable assets. Go to HackProofBag.com. That's HackProofBag.com. And use promo code RADIO to get 20% off. Or call 805-222-4584. 805-222-4584. This is Ben Gordon. And if your teeth are stained from coffee, tea, or smoking, Power Swabs is the answer. In five minutes, you'll see two shades whiter teeth. And in seven days, six shades. There's no messy strips or trays that you have to leave in your mouth for an hour. Just swab your teeth for five minutes and you're done. To try Power Swabs, call 1-800-290-8480. Your bright white smile will have your friends talking about how great you look. Try it risk-free. 1-800-290-8480. That's 1-800-290-8480. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. Do you feel like you're losing control over your finances? If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services and take advantage of the Fresh Start program and new laws that may allow 
allow us to negotiate a settlement for the lowest amount possible. Our team of tax attorneys and enrolled agents can stop collections and get you protected so you can take control of your financial future. Tax Mediation Services is accredited by the Better Business Bureau. Call now for a free case review and a price protection guaranteed quote. Call Tax Mediation Services now at 800-615-7709. That's 800-615-7709. 800-615-7709. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Injury help desk is responsible for this advertisement. Principal office, Las Vegas, Nevada. This ad is not legal advice, and the choice of a lawyer should not be based solely upon advertisement. Services may not be available in all states. Attention heartburn drug users. If you or a loved one has taken Nexium, Prevacid, or Prilosec to treat heartburn, acid reflux, or indigestion, and suffered serious kidney damage, chronic kidney disease, or kidney failure, you may be entitled to substantial financial compensation. Studies from the JAMA Internal Medicine indicate a significant increased risk of acute and chronic kidney disease from taking proton pump inhibitors. If you or a loved one was diagnosed with kidney failure or chronic kidney disease after taking Nexium, Prevacid, or Prilosec to treat heartburn, acid reflux, or indigestion, you may be entitled to substantial financial compensation. Act now. Time is limited to file a claim. For a free consultation and free information, call Injury Help Desk now. You may be entitled to substantial financial compensation. Call 800-225-8944. That's 800-225-8944. Again, 800-225-8944. Call now. Winter has just begun, and are you already tired of being cold? How would you like to never be cold again? This is Dale with Fortress Clothing, and I'm here to tell you, you will never be cold again with Fortress. If you're tired of freezing your butt off, elk hunting, sitting in a tree stand, deer hunting, winter camping, fishing, ice fishing, no longer fear the cold. If you snowmobile, ski, snowboard, get Fortress. Sledding with the kids, shoveling the walks, shopping, or if you or your spouse get cold feet at home, get Fortress. If you're stuck outside working in the cold or find yourself in an emergency situation, get our winter bug out bag and you will never be cold again. Fortress is the answer, so quit complaining and go to FortressClothing.com. It's a mid-layer garment that goes with anything you want to wear. Enter coupon code RADIO and get 20% off any item. Go now while we still have inventory. FortressClothing.com This is Kurt Seven, the author of UFO Mysteries, and you're listening to the Paracast. Hey, I heard a commercial the other day for a very respectable advertiser, My Pillow. You know, get a very comfortable pillow and everything. Moving up in the world. That's, you know, GCN is signing up some mainstream advertisers. Well, we must be doing something right there, Gene. <laughs> well, I'm not getting paid for it, and you're not getting paid for it, so it doesn't really help. We have Dr. Uh, Jeffrey Meldrum, and we didn't pay him either. He's just a nice guy. That's why he shows up. Very nice. Very gracious to come on the show. Uh, we do consider ourselves kind of the uh, the 60 minutes of the paranormal. We don't, uh, you know, suspend our disbelief and, uh, and scratch our guest bellies. <laughs> we make them work. <laughs> Oh, here's some more questions that are uh, pretty interesting. Uh, this is from Ronaway. He's been a longtime poster at forum.theparacast.com, where you guys get to ask questions of our wonderful guests. And he says, as with UFO sightings, he believes that it is ludicrous to think that all Sasquatch sightings are either fabricated or a misidentification. Do you believe that the government agencies are fully aware of the creature's existence? And if so, what is your favorite theory for the cover-up? Yeah. I know there are a lot of... Uh there are a lot of people out there who have experiences or claim experiences with men in black and unmarked aircraft and so forth. 
I've not had any of those. You know, either I'm disseminating uh, great disinformation uh, unwittingly, and so they're just letting me go, or, or, or has, has been suggested that if I was intimidated or, or accosted, that it would be, I'd be too visual, or too visible, rather, too much in the public eye, so they have to just kind of let me go on my own. But the experiences I have had where there has been intentional, overt suppression of information or evidence, it has um, primarily resulted from, you know, much like in the scientific community, it's this attitude that it can't exist. It's a wild goose chase. Uh, I, I don't want, I don't want to be embarrassed by any reports uh, that are taking place on my watch or two. I don't want to be challenged about spending taxpayers' money. You may have seen the the ridiculous news coverage about an event that I participated down at the University of New Mexico at Gallup, yeah. where an unscrupulous reporter teamed up with a, a uh, desperate politician to try to create a scandal to get publicity for his re-election bid, apparently, is what it seems to boil down to. But a public event that was was well known for months and months and months, it suddenly became a hot topic. And, and the, uh, the bottom line was, how was state money being spent to finance a uh, gathering, uh, a conference on Bigfoot, yeah. and to uh, underwrite some uh, field exploration to visit some of the sites and see some of the habitat and visit with some of the local witnesses. You know, so that, those two things, I think, are, are much more. There, certainly, there's also, you know, in, the, in industry, you know the uh, the forest uh, uh, or logging industry certainly doesn't want to have a lot of uh, amateur investigators tromping through and trespassing on private property. So I think there's a potential for suppression of information there. You hear stories about loggers who are told to just don't tell. You know, don't talk about it. We don't want to draw attention. We don't want this to be the mother of all spotted owls type situation. Right. Oh boy, that would be the last thing in the world the warehouser would want to deal with. <laughs> well, exactly. And so, yeah. you know, in the national parks, for example, the uh, I know of rangers who have had experiences, but they never reported up the line, and uh, and there's because of uh, fear of of, uh, of retribution or, or criticism or whatever. Or some sort of blowback, look just like pilots and UFO sightings, the same sort of thing. Right. Yeah, it's very similar. Well, he um, another question from uh, F. Workman is, he's wondering if you've ever had an encounter during one of your investigations, or have you had any other types of so-called paranormal, I, I put in so-called because it's such a catch-all phrase, sure. so-called paranormal experiences while investigating the case? Well, I, I have. In, in, in the introduction to my book, I describe uh, one close encounter that was quite interesting. Not a visual encounter, but uh, under the cover of, of fog that had rolled in off the California coast into the into the Six Rivers area, we had something rifling through backpacks and brushing against tent against tents and rain flies, but able to just kind of dissolve back into the into the murk uh, when we'd get out of our tents. But was leaving 16-inch footprints. Uh, wow, so now that's pretty up close and personal. Uh, yeah, I may have had a visual encounter just uh, last fall um not uh, in in 2015 i was up in uh, alberta with uh, an investigator there and 
saw just just a silhouetted what what seemed to be a silhouetted figure that was uh, in context of something that had approached our camp was pop and brush uh, had vocalized and uh, was reacting to our attempts to talk at it you know you 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 try to reassuringly speak to it and suddenly it sounded like a baseball bat was cracked and broken into uh, that kind of thing, and and then it broke from the shadows and and quickly walked across the road into the uh, shadows on the opposite side. This being observed through night vision, not certain. You know, I, I'd say there's much better than a fifty-fifty chance that it, indeed it was a Bigfoot, given the context, especially would up up that perhaps you know to seventy percent. Um, well, where in Alberta was that? It was about midway up, uh, straight west from Calgary, right up against the Rocky Mountains, just north of the, uh, of the, uh, oh shucks, just went blank, I'm having a senior moment here. What, uh, around Lake Louise, uh, Saskatchewan River area there? Or? Yeah, yeah, roughly, I think yeah. that, that sounds right. Yeah. Oh, that's my 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 favorite place in North America. That is unbelievably beautiful up there. Yeah. Oh, it was. It was amazing. And that is, boy, if 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 I was a Bigfoot, that's where I'd want to live. <laughs> exactly. exactly. I heard years ago um, a story circulating around uh, the local Washington State Bigfoot uh, community of a supposedly a community of Bigfoot right in the center of British Columbia in a very, very closed-off valley that there was only one way in and one way out, and that there were two huge um, firs or western red cedars or, or some huge conifer. Uh, two of them had been pulled down and bowed down and tied together, uh, lashed together like a big McDonald's arch at the entrance to this uh, particular uh, valley, and that there was a sizable uh, community of these uh creatures living in there and it seemed to be some sort of central point uh and that there actually was a, a social uh, a fairly large social group there have you ever heard anything like that before i, I haven't no not not to that uh, extent but uh, again my question would be you know what's the basis for that for that assertion is there right right is there any any evidence to back that up uh, well if i remember correctly it was a bush pilot that that flew over it and oh. uh, and was was so frightened about it he he did mention it to some people but but never really went to the authorities or or, or went anywhere further with it because he he number one he he was just too afraid for his own reputation as understandably so and and number two he felt that that he he felt that he would be doing the community a disservice if he actually ID the exact yeah. location and people did try to backtrack his flight path and stuff. I mean, there's you hear stories all the time. That one was the only one that I've ever heard uh, that talked about an actual uh, group uh, larger than, a, let's say, a family group, as described by like an Albert Osman uh, back when he said he was abducted by one and brought to a cave, blah, 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 uh, which I, I've never really fully kind of embrace that particular account but uh how about jacko supposedly in the 1880s a, a railroad sideshow kind of a circus uh, allegedly had a uh, a um a, a juvenile uh bigfoot that was uh, on display yeah. for a number of weeks that would be able to wrench apart uh, wood in a very unnatural impossible way and and uh, i've been for years i tried to search down 
uh, some alleged photographs that have been taken of it. Um, does that ring a bell? It was a, oh, a Canadian. Oh, absolutely. No, that's one of the classics in, in yeah. the war. Uh, I think the person who's probably done some of the most investigation of that is Christopher Murphy. Let's do our break here, guys. We've got more to come with Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum and Gene and Chris. You're in. Paracast. You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items and entails T-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast Jumbo tote bag, all sorts of T-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality, you know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children, stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. You go to store.theparacast.com, stop by, and take a shopping tour. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I'm here to tell you about GCNTelecare.com, a team of board-certified doctors assisting you 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Within 15 minutes of registration, care your family can afford. Revolutionizing the healthcare industry, virtual consulting, providing diagnosis of non-emergency medical issues by phone or secure video on computer or smart mobile devices. GCNTelecare.com. Virtual care anywhere. Paid non-attorney spokesperson Adam Pulaski of the Pulaski Law Firm with principal office in Houston, Texas is the attorney responsible for the content of this ad. This ad is not legal advice and the choice of a lawyer should not be based solely upon advertisement. Services may not be available in all states. Attention Zarelto users. If you or a loved one took Zarelto and suffered a serious bleeding event, you may be entitled to financial compensation. Zarelto is a popular prescription blood thinner used to prevent blood clots and protect patients from strokes. These serious bleeding events have led to numerous cases of hospitalization and even death. Phone lines are open 24-7. Call 800-261-0930. That's 800-261-0937. How confident are you in your food storage? If it was all you had to rely on, would it sustain your family? Hard times, good times, or any time. Numana Storable Food is the proven superior choice. Learn for yourself what happened when one man ate only Numana Storable Food for an entire month. Online at PowerPrepper.com. That's PowerPrepper.com. Experience the new mana difference. America made food stores I love to eat. Yum! This is a healthcare alert from the Pain Relief Hotline. If you, a family member, or a loved one suffers from knee, back, shoulder, or ankle pain and have Medicare as your primary insurance, we've got great news. You don't have to suffer any longer. You can immediately qualify for a pain-relieving brace at little or no cost to you by calling our 24-7 pain relief hotline at 866-389-0620. Delivery is free and all paperwork is handled for you. If you are on Medicare and have knee, back, shoulder, or ankle pain, don't wait. You can qualify to immediately receive a pain-relieving brace at little or no cost by calling our 24-7 pain hotline now at 866-389-0620. Our representatives are standing by 24-7 to take your call and rush you your pain-relieving brace at little or no cost to you. Shipping is free and all paperwork is handled for you. 
Just call 866-389-0620. That's 866-389-0620. Again, 866-389-0620. Cancer categorizes over 100 diseases. Though we do not diagnose, treat, or cure cancer, GCN team is offering the Clemson University study where there was up to a 95% reduction in cancerous cells when exposed to a plant-derived mineral supplement. If you or a loved one are searching for answers to this horrifying disease, come to GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. We'll email you a copy for free. That's 877-878-4203. This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast So as we progress towards the final leg of our journey here, let me remind you that we do have a free Paracast Plus sampler at our forums at forum.theparacast.com. We have three or four samples up there where we give you a sample of the commercial-free version of the Paracast, a sample of After the Paracast, and one of the videos that we've posted. And you could check those out. And if you like what you hear, just subscribe at plus.thepowercast.com. That's P-L-U-S dot thepowercast.com. The prices start at just $4.99. Our price, cheap, has to be $4.99. What is that? Less than a Starbucks. Chris, what's a Starbucks coffee cost now? I, of course, I, I don't go to Starbucks. I heard they just recently raised their prices, so I think it's even less now. <laughs> so therefore, the Powercast Plus becomes an ever greater value. <laughs> Makes a great Christmas gift for your uh, paranormal boyfriend. <laughs> or paranormal girlfriend or whatever. Or paranormal girlfriend. Or, or your imaginary uh, girlfriend. I'm sure she'd like that too. <laughs> That's right. You can have an imaginary viewing. Plus.thepowercast.com. We have the not imaginary, Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum. I know he's not imaginary because he has his webcam on. <laughs> and we know you actually see he's a real person. See, no one ever sees what I really look like. They just see this strange avatar because we don't want to let them know that. So my webcam is forever off. Here's here's a good question, Gene, from Harry Newton, who's one of our listeners in in, uh, the London area, uh, London, England, where there are no Bigfoot except for uh, occasional politicians that tromp through the uh, countryside. (laughs) I thought we had a collection of those, but I didn't want to get into politics. Okay. Now, you are an expert on bipedal feet. And he's wondering, with all the wonderful plaster casts, you probably have one of the largest collections in the world, I would imagine. Uh, which one is your favorite and why? Yeah, I get that asked frequently when I'm at conferences and have a variety of these on display. Uh, it's hard to single one out because each one has its own unique set of circumstances and 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 often illustrates a particular point. And so I'm, you know, I utilize many different examples to, to make those points. Um, I mean, one, one that, 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 you know, I was delighted to, uh, to have access to was a cast that was made by Bob Titmus at the Patterson-Gimlin film site, which has proved to be, you know, quite central to my modeling of the form and function of the Sasquatch foot and the distinctions that it exhibits by comparison, by contrast to the human foot. And uh, this track has a very distinctive pressure ridge 
uh, preserved within it that illustrates this function of the mid-tarsal break or the midfoot flexibility that is, it, it seems to be very characteristic of the Sasquatch track. So, 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 was, so it shows the arch, the foot arch? Well, no, it's not arched. That's the, the whole point is, you know, the, the tracks that Roger Patterson cast were remarkably flat looking. No uh, arch with differential pressure under the heel and ball of the foot at all. And that, that caused the experts at the time, if they can be called that, you know, at that time, back in the 60s, the uh, study of human locomotion and, and footprints was, you know, a, as far as evolutionary history was, was in its infancy. But because of the flatness of the tracks that he presented them with, it was easy for them to just dismiss them as, you know, the result of, of static prosthetics, carved wooden feet, you know, like Wallace has asserted. But the other tracks show remarkable dynamics. And again, it's not an arch, but it's due to that flexibility of the flat foot. The heel is elevated first with flexion through the midfoot, weight transferred to the forefoot, and under the appropriate conditions, plasticity of the substrate and the forward impulse, you'll sometimes get a pressure release or pressure disc. Oh, I see. Okay, so it's a release from the front towards the back? Yes, exactly. Okay. Sometimes it actually displaces material back into the heel. Sometimes it just causes it to hump up as that downward pressure of the forefoot just displaces some of the material backward and it's probably the faster like a, like a speed bump. The the faster it walks, probably the, the more you're gonna see that, I would right. think. Exactly. You know, it's just like when we walk down the beach, we'll push up in a similar fashion behind the ball of the foot right there at the base of our big toe or we'll kick up some material from our toes themselves because especially the big toe where we push off through that big toe the sasquatch seems to push off from the fore part of the foot in its entirety the the toes are there primarily for traction but not so much for propulsion and uh, so that titmus track illustrates that principle very very well but, but there are many others there that also show the remarkable degree of mobility of the foot in, in supination and pronation, you know, the twisting of the forefoot relative to the hind foot. And uh, it, it's just, it's truly amazing. As, as I get talking about it, I, I, I don't know if the excitement comes through. People it ask me. does. And, I, and I'm, believe me, it excites <laughs> me too, because someone yeah. who knows as much about this subject of being involved in this in this particular type of research is you know i mean we're very fortunate to have you and and harry wanted me to pass along uh, a thank you on his behalf because he's uh, it, it, as a result of your work and others he has become very very fascinated with the subject and a uh, big thumbs up from harry newton in london well thank you i was able to make a presentation to a group of podiatrists and orthopedists at the Massachusetts General Hospital for a speaking engagement. And uh, I tell you, it was, it was just, it was fun. It was sheer fun to be able to talk shop with a, a room full, you know, 75 plus clinicians who could appreciate and were conversant in the form and function of the foot right. and, and its pathology. In fact, I, I have, uh, I left with the department chairman another of my favorite, the 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 Bosberg Cripplefoot pair, the crippled uh, track. Right. Oh, that's a famous one. That is, and yeah. you know, it, in, unfortunately, it has a bit of a pall hanging over it because of its association with Ivan Marks, yeah. who we know hoaxed a number of different things. But, but in this case, you know, as I've often said, even a blind squirrel finds a nut, and I think this was a, an amazing nut that he found because discussing that 
that particular case with these clinicians and the interpretation of the pathology and the possible trauma to the foot, uh, I left a, a replica pair of those tracks with the department head and they're on display in the office. <laughs> and and the clinicians were fascinated oh, with it. They didn't have to get the qualms. Oh man, maybe there's the hope. Anthropologists <laughs> were hung up on, you know. <laughs> I love it. You know, f- from time to time, you you encounter cases, and I'm sure you have too, uh, where there's there's seemingly there's there's just elements of the case that that even though trace evidence is left behind, there's something that doesn't add up. I'll give you an example. My brother had uh, an encounter. It wasn't visual, but they were. Uh, on horseback, they were on a logging road between Gold Bar and Startup, Washington, just below Stevens Pass. Mm. It was a it was a moist day, you know, in the Cascades. Right. They were on a logging road that um, had kind of compressed clay that was wet, and the horses all of a sudden started freaking out, and so they had to get off uh, and calm the horses down. Then they s- had the smell, and it, they led the horses around the corner, uh, kind of around the the bend in the logging road, and they encountered five footprints. Uh, one was on the, uh, it was going from, from right to left across the road. There was one footprint on the side of the road, one in the middle of the road, one on the other side of the road, a swooped footprint going up a kind of a, uh, the cut in the, uh, the mountainside, a broken uh, pine bough, a very large branch had been broken like it had grabbed it to pull itself up. But there were no tracks approaching the road and no tracks leaving the road. The track in the middle of the road was so pristine that there was like fingerprints uh, yeah. of the foot compressed in the in the wet clay uh, that left actual dermal impressions. Wow. Uh, the University of Washington came up. Uh, this was in uh, I'm trying to remember the date. This would have been the fall of seventy three, I think, or the, possibly seventy four. I forget. How do you explain a trackway? that only consists of five prints with none approaching the trackway and none leaving uh, where there should have been uh, trace evidence. Right. Is there some sort of paranormal? I guess the question is, do we have some sort of paranormal aspect here? Some, I, some sort of being able to uh, uh, blink in and out of reality? I know a lot of the Fortians uh, believe that this is some sort of paranormal creature and is not just purely an undiscovered species of of uh, of animal, that there's something paranormal about it. Where do you come down with those types of theories and those types of cases? Well, my again, my experience has been that what appears to be uh, a sudden start and sudden stop uh, uh, really isn't. Um, that, you know, the, the conditions may have been, depending on how fresh, and it sounds like now, this is one of those situations where the strange creatures who manage the collection of advertising that we present on the Paracast are here to tell us we've got to stop. We have Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum with Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. Attack of the Rockoids has been well-received by critics and readers alike. It's a -a thrill-a-minute story you'll never forget. A former U.S. military intelligence officer is haunted by intense dreams about a beautiful woman pleading for his help after a terrible battle in outer space. But the dreams turn out to be true and thrust him into a telepathic love affair with a woman whose faraway planet is intent on destroying the Earth. 
And now the gripping tale continues in The Coming of the Protectors. It's the second book of the Rockoids trilogy, a galaxy-spanning adventure that pits our hapless heroes against powerful, fanatical enemies that threaten the lives of freedom-loving beings everywhere. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Bad theater seats, cheap Halloween masks, my apartment, all things with obstructed views. Add to these large trucks and buses. 18-wheelers and large buses have big blind spots, and like my apartment, they don't always have the best view. Bus and truck drivers deal with blind spots around the entire vehicle. Always take care not to ride alongside or too close behind them. Our roads, our responsibility. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. Fully cooked, ready-to-eat bacon. I'm talking thick, meaty, center-cut, presidential bacon. Savory and delicious. I buy some, I use some, I store some. Awesome. No refrigeration needed with a 10-year shelf life. NASA Pack technology. Bacon. Fully cooked, fully hydrated, ready-to-eat right from the pack bacon. Or warm and served. Life-saving, ready-to-eat bacon. 10-year shelf life bacon. Ships free at FullyCookedBacon.com. FullyCookedBacon.com. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We have Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum for several more segments of the Paracast with Gene and Chris. We're not just giving you our own questions, but asking the ones that you posed in the question bank at forum.theparacast.com. So when we broke for our last commercial break, Dr. Meldrum was going to start with a new answer to a question. Let me just uh, first add something. There's grass slowly rising out of the print below the swooped print on the uh, the side of the the cut. So there was still grass uh, coming up out of the print. That's how, how, uh, in terms of time proximity. Right. So very fresh. So Within uh, less than two minutes. Yeah, because in some instances... I find that, you know, the conditions where the footprints had been laid down might have been different at the time of, of the uh, passing of the, of the track maker. Uh, and so, and those can vary. And those can vary oftentimes in, under very, or, or on, on, uh, in a very short period of time. But the, the question, I mean, the fact that there was grass, you know, and, and not knowing the condition of the forest floor on either side of the road and the road cut... Yeah, it'd be hard to answer uh, that. Yeah. yeah, it's hard to know. Uh, you know, there, there. This was one of the criticisms that uh, a famous tracker, Joel Harden, a border patrol tracker who investigated some of the reports in the Blue Mountains outside of Walla Walla, in southeastern Washington. Uh, one of his criticisms was that the tracks appeared to start and stop, and, and this struck me as as odd. And and in fact, in my opinion just spoke to the credibility of the tracks because here's a person who is a professional tracker not just not like me I, I don't consider myself a professional tracker I'm certainly not professional but I you know I'm not qualified to follow and cut sign 
which consists of broken blades of grass and overturned pebbles and and indentations in the pine duff or what. I mean, but but if there's a clear footprint, I can interpret it, inter- infer the anatomy, infer the function, and uh, and so forth. But this individual claimed that uh, you know these tracks start, stopped and started. Well, if if it was as he alleged, uh, a hoaxer who was donning and doffing fake feet, he should have been able to pick up sign of that yeah. person. Yeah, the hoaxer barefooted <laughs> or with yeah the hoaxer's sign. Now, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm really hesitant and want to appeal, like I said before, to a paranormal explanation. I, I have a hard time envisioning or wrapping my head around the notion of, a, of what seems to otherwise to be a physical creature who would be capable of doing such things and yet only appears where there's 16 to 18 inches of rainfall and, you know, doesn't bother to clean up the scat that they leave behind or... You know, that kind of, <laughs> everything that I'm familiar with from my own personal experience suggests and indicates a, a biological species, an organism right. that exists biologically in, in our plane of existence, in our following our rules of physics and so forth. I, I just don't see this as a singular entity or phenomenon that one has to, just simply because we haven't yet found the definitive type specimen, that we would be justified in resorting to a paranormal explanation. To yeah, it. kind of an Occam's razor scenario. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. You know, an Occam's razor gets, that's one of my pet peeves, Occam's razor is often misused. You know, his edict was essentially that we shouldn't add variables, we shouldn't add uh, entities unnecessarily to, an, to an, uh, in an attempt to explain something. He never said that the simplest explanation is more likely to be true. And history should have taught us in uh, both in, in evolution, for example, and and in in other areas of, of science, that rarely is does science follow the shortest course from point A to point B. When it when you're dealing with historical science like evolution, for example, there's there's no way to justify that because natural selection has no knowledge of what B is. It's not prescient. It can't predict the future, and so it would have no way of knowing what the shortest distance would be to the condition that we might be experiencing in the future or or right now in the present. Nature solves its problems by whatever means, and often they're very convoluted, very complicated um, means. (laughs) Like, Uh, how do evolutionary biologists uh, explain uh, the evolution of uh, caterpillars being able to go into chrysalis and morph into a butterfly? They still haven't figured that one out. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty complicated. It definitely is. I, I wouldn't resort to paranormal until I'd until I had ruled out the simpler explanations. Right. And and one of those might be that it was just darn hard to pick up the track in in the forest floor. Yeah, and in certain that's, rain. That's yeah. one thing that, that impressed me. In my my first real concerted field experience, expedition, you know, uh, setting, was how little of the ground actually took a track very well. At least a, a visible, discernible footprint that I could study and pour a cast of and so forth. There's yeah. very, very little surface area out there. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And, and you really have to be good. I'm always reminded of that scene in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid when when the uh, the tracker's tracking them over uh, just bare rock. Yeah. And they're, 
Yeah. <laughs> they keep asking himself, who are those guys? How can they do that? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Lord Baltimore, I think his name was. <laughs> yeah. Okay, some, some more questions from our listeners. Vespi Highfolk, who's one of our, our top posters at the Paracast, where you can ask your questions of our guests at forum.theparacast.com. The question bank. He's wondering again about hard hard evidence. Now you've mentioned scat. Do we have some uh, stool samples from these creatures? I I wasn't aware of that. Well, yes, there there have been reports from from way back the uh, early sightings and the first documentation in uh, California back in the fifties, late fifties um, of extraordinarily large but rather human looking scat piles. There have been some hit-and-miss kind of analyses. There was one that Ivan Sanderson reported in his book where uh, a parasitologist took a look and found the, the egg husks, you know, a, uh, a form of parasitic worm that was very unusual for something in North America. Um, he was familiar with them from swine in Asia. Uh, so that was kind of interesting. I mean, I, what that means, I'm not quite sure, just that it wasn't a common... Um, a common uh, uh, combination of, of, of characteristics, both. And that was a North American sample. Uh, that was a North American sample, yeah. Wow, that, that yeah. is interesting. We've dealt with a lot of different samples, and, you know, it, the, the problem is that we're dealing with a large omnivore. And if you're at all familiar with bear scat, for example, another omnivore, as we pointed out earlier, the scat, the appearance and consistency of the scat will differ remarkably depending on what this omnivore is eating. Right. It's not like, you know, uh, cow pies where they eat nothing but grass and straw and so forth. And so if they're eating berries, they're going to be runny and blue and have bits of berries in it. If they're in the early spring and they're eating lots of grass, then it looks more like horse manure. If right. they get into a, a carcass and they're eating a lot of uh, putrefying meat, a lot of protein, then it's dark black and tarry, you know, it's, it's going to change. So I'm sure that the Sasquatch scat is going to vary similarly to that. So the way, only way really to distinguish it would be, um, you know, a, an excessive diameter of that, of that uh, uh, log, if you will, um, or um, with DNA analysis. And unfortunately, you have a very narrow window. You only have about, oh, at tops, eight hours before bacterial uh -huh. action will destroy any of the DNA that has come off, sloughed off with the mucosal cells right. um, on that. And so we had the proverbial perfect scat sample. I mean, I, I always tell individuals, don't bother me really with, with these scat samples until, unless they're very fresh, you know, literally um, located between two clear footprints. <laughs> and we had that happen. <laughs> There was a case in Wyoming where uh, a Sasquatch was visiting some seasonally occupied cabins and was peering into the windows, especially the kitchen windows where dinner was being cooked. And just off, off uh, removed from the cabins not too far, there were two tracks with a, a scat pile right in between them. Let's talk about those tracks in our next segment with Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum and Gene and Chris, you're in The Paracast. Neighbors, I want to tell you about my favorite graphics app. 
It's the award-winning Graphic Converter. You know, Graphic Converter is the universal genius for photo editing on your Mac. Join over one and a half million loyal users for this Swiss Army Knife photo editing app. It gives you all you expect from a top-flight image editing app with tons of features. And most important, it's easy to use. It's also far less expensive than that other app that you can only get by subscription. You know, the one I'm talking about. What's more, you can get 20% off with your order right now. So write this down to learn about Graphic Converter. Go to www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. Let me spell that. www.lemkesoft.de slash gene. Hi, this is Sophie Winnick, longtime distributor and user of Longevity products. In the last few years, my family went through a crisis. Everything else in my life, including my business, had to be put on the back burner. Thankfully, life is getting back to normal now. But the one thing I never had to worry about was my business and my monthly commission. I've been a distributor for Longevity for over 17 years, since before it was Longevity. And I've got to say, the most amazing thing about this company is the people. While my family was in crisis, other distributors stepped in and helped my customers simply because that's what longevity people do, even for people they don't know. For me, it has never been about getting rich. It was about a product I could stand behind, a company I could count on, and a monthly commission check that has never not once been late in 17 years. Longevity is truly a business for everyone, even people who have too much to do. I'm Sophie Winnick. I'm just like you. I have a real life, real ups and downs, but I know I will always have longevity. If you or someone you care about loves outdoor adventure, then check out Slingbow.com for some unique holiday gift ideas. That's Slingbow.com, where we have some innovative new products for the archer, hunter, or bow fishing enthusiast in your family. Now through January, use the promo code HOLIDAY to get free shipping in the U.S. or Canada. And from all of us at Slingbow Industries, have a safe, joyous, and peaceful holiday season. Dangerous blood clot device alert. If you or a loved one had an IVC filter placed to prevent blood clots from traveling to your heart or lungs and suffered an injury, you may be entitled to substantial financial compensation. The FDA warns that IVC filters may cause serious complications, such as heart or lung damage, internal bleeding, and even death. These dangerous blood clot devices can break, and the metal fragments can travel to your heart or lungs, causing serious injuries. If you or a loved one suffered organ damage or other injuries, from an IVC filter, you may be entitled to substantial financial compensation. Act now. Time is limited to file a claim. For a free consultation and free information, call Injury Help Desk at 800-478-1507. 800-478-1507. 800-478-1507. This is an advertisement. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. InjuryHelpDesk.com is responsible for this advertisement. Principal Office, Las Vegas, Nevada. The EPA says the air in our homes is up to five times more contaminated than outside air. The solution is not just to filter your air, but detox it. UVforlife.com now offers a doctor-recommended UVforlife.com sterilization unit to kill over 99% of viruses, bacteria, molds, and dangerous chemicals. Go to UVforlife.com. Add promo code GCN at checkout to save $100. That's UV, the number four, life.com. UVforlife.com. Don't just filter your air. Detox it. 
this is Marie D. Jones, the author of This Book is from the Future, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Okay, the tracks from The Creature. Tell us more. Well, the, the tracks were extremely clear. I mean, they were some of the best 16-inch tracks I've seen. And we show, showed all of the hallmarks of midfoot flexibility that, uh, you know, are, are indicative in my mind of legitimate tracks, you know, not likely to have been a so, so they went side by side with the heels dug in? Well, where they were side by side, there was actually more weight on the fore part of the foot as if it oh, okay. was yeah, that, Actually, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah. So uh, that scat sample, the, well, I was going to say these tracks were followed for probably a quarter of a mile. And then we had a we had an independent sighting reported from that area at almost the same time, about about three or four miles removed from this side by a, a hiker. The scat was collected. Unfortunately, you know, the uh, delay in getting the word to us meant that it had been out, exposed the elements for probably, oh, a good uh, five or six days. But we went ahead and collected it. It was... Uh, you know, roughly human in appearance, in, in shape, that is, uh, a greater volume, but uh, completely full of well-chewed-up sedges. So it wasn't a, a dog or a carnivore. It was, I mean, it could have been a bear. That was the only other possibility. But the tracks it was associated with were so clear. So we went ahead and collected some, and we sent it off to a DNA lab on the off chance that it might have something. And, and I bet you they just loved opening up that package. Yeah, well, they were actually quite excited about it, especially <laughs> given the description of the circumstances. Unfortunately, all they got from it was dog DNA. And what we figure had happened was one of the residents' dog had taken an interest in it and, as you might expect, lifted its leg and marked his territory. You know, this <laughs> intruder had the, the audacity to leave a scat pile in his in his backyard he was going to mark it and so yeah it was dna you know proteins from the urine that had uh yeah which is not damaged. good for trying to isolate dna from an un- unknown primate uh, oftentimes when when i would go out on cattle mutilation investigations um we would allow, allow the pyrenees my brother's pyrenees to be the first one to actually go into the site because he would do exactly that he would go around to an an ID where where any sort of coyotes had approached the uh, carcass by peeing on the bushes that they peed on. (laughs) Yes, Uh uh-huh, (laughs) uh-huh. So he he was our junior investigator, the first one on the scene, usually. (laughs) Yeah, if we only had, had, well, I don't know if I would want to have their sense of smell. Uh, No. To be more of a burden than than a Yes, yeah. Almost parts per trillion, I think. I think the bloodhounds can smell parts per trillion, Uh, and bears can, too. Bears can smell up to five miles away, I think, right. downwind. Here's, you know, we have to get into this question. Uh, there's uh, a couple of questions about the problem of hoaxing. Um, and Vesby Highfolk wants to know how badly hoaxers like Rick Dyer and, and others have harmed serious Bigfoot research. Do you think that these guys are just, a, just an annoyance, uh, that they're just an irritation? Or do you think that they're doing irreparable harm to this subject being taken seriously by academics? Well, that's a good question, and it's, uh, I don't know that I have a clean-cut answer. I don't think it's irreparable harm in the case of something like Rick Dyer. I think that it, it, uh, what it does is it gives more grist 
for the mill being run by the ideological skeptics out there. Yeah. I mean, they, they like to then focus everyone's attention on those things. I mean, in the case of Rick Dyer, it's so blatantly, transparently obvious that, that only the most gullible or the most wishful individuals would, would even give him the time of day. Well, I could share some fun stories of behind-the-scenes stories of, of his wrangling, trying to get me to come and just take a look, <laughs> just to lend credibility, you know, to his allegations. But it was... Uh, <laughs> he, yeah, he, the he did his road show. He, he wanted to get a place up in Flagstaff and uh, and do his dog and pony show up there, and they absolutely refused. I, I was hoping that they'd allow him to do it because I wanted to go up there and do a real big expose on him, but yeah. they wouldn't even allow him to, to stop. They said, don't even stop in this town. Just keep right. going, pal. Well, that's that's probably for the best. How about There's- the Minnesota Iceman? This is yeah. something that I have always been absolutely just fascinated by. Of course, Ivan Sanderson and uh, got a chance to uh, take a look at this uh, short-lived display of, uh, of an apparent hominid in uh, a, a smaller hominid, but uh, all fully hair-covered, in a block of ice. Yeah. Well, uh, just recently, the volume that Bernard Hovelmans had written on that has been translated from French into English and has been published, and it's now out and available. We, we just did a, a, a... I just wrote a book review on it for the uh, Journal of Scientific Exploration, the JSE. It, it, fascinating. It, it, it sort of reopened that uh, that case for me as I read this book for the first time and got Bernard's perspective in contrast to Ivan's. Ivan was probably a little more skeptical and thought that Bernard had jumped the gun. But, you know, it, it really was a shell game. Uh, it, was, it was from as, as soon as some serious attention was directed by the FBI and the Smithsonian. Then suddenly Hansen claimed that the owner, the anonymous owner, had retracted it and had replaced it with this mannequin. The mannequin, which is now down at the Museum of the Weird, I guess, in, in uh, is it Arizona or Nevada? Yeah. Arizona, Arizona, yeah. yeah. And um, so the question is, was the original that was examined in, at length by... Sanderson and Heuvelmans, was that just, uh, was that a real body, a flesh and bones body, or was it the model which Hansen then thought out, repositioned a little, modified perhaps a bit, and then refroze? Uh, unfortunately, I don't think we'll ever know. And, and even if, if we, you know, even if a compelling argument could be made one way or the other, the only physical remains we have uh, are or is that model that's on display down there. And certainly that is just, it's a mannequin. It's not much different than, well, it's, it's better quality, much better quality than Rick Dyer's travesty. <laughs> but it's, uh, we'll never <laughs> You're know. You're being kind. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll just never know. Yeah, it's always fascinated me, especially the, uh, the diagram uh, that Sanderson uh, drew up, and, and very meticulously, too, I might add, for, for someone, someone uh, just looking through glass and being able to, to uh, determine as much as he did. Uh, it was very, very intriguing. You, you just have to wonder, maybe that thing's sitting on ice somewhere, uh, just waiting yeah. for somebody to, uh, to yeah. find it and, and bring it out. Hard, hard to know. imagine, but it's, you know, stranger things have happened. That, uh, so, yeah, it's, it's fascinating, but it's, you know, there, there are so many uh, fronts, so many lines of investigation that I'm involved with in one, to one degree or another that it just, 
it, it, you know, it, it doesn't uh, justify the time uh, to delve into it any further. Well, maybe one of your little research assistants uh, could <laughs> yeah. put that on somebody's well, plate for uh, weekend work. Are, you know, the enthusiasts out there, this is this is tailor-made for, for somebody to just take a hold and chase down all those leads and, you know, talk to Terry Cullen. I got a phone call from Terry Cullen um, many, many years ago, when he and he described his first experience. He was the individual who examined it and then brought it to the attention of Sanderson. Let's do that further in our next segment. We've got more to come with Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum and Gene and Chris. You're in the Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today. There is an affordable alternative to the high cost of health care that offers freedom from insurance while providing compliance with the Obamacare individual mandate. Imagine having access to quality, affordable health care that allows you the freedom to choose your doctor and hospital. Members can share up to 100% of necessary medical expenses, including some alternative treatments. Find out how you and your family can contain health care costs without giving up your freedom. Go to libertyoncall.org. That's libertyoncall.org. Looking for that edge during those intimate moments? We see many ads for enhancement, but the side effects include death. At GCN Team, we should change the Healthy Body Brain and Heart Pack to the Healthy Libido Pack. The brain and heart are not the only organs that require a healthy vascular system. For proper blood flow at the right moment, go to GCNTeam.com or call 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. My computer is so slow, it's making me crazy. I used to have that problem. Did you quit using a computer or did you buy a new one? No, I called Geeks on Site. They made an appointment to visit my home and showed up the same day. You mean they didn't ask you to bring your computer to a shop? That's what happened when I called a support company. Geeks on Site can go to your home or business or even repair your computer online. They have 24-7 emergency service. If you're having problems with your PC or Mac, call Geeks on Site. 1-800-591-1682. Our friendly certified computer repair Repair experts are available 24-7. Call now for a free diagnosis. 1-800-591-1682. Data recovery, virus removal, and maintenance for all laptops, desktops, printers, and networks. That's Geeks on Site for friendly, certified computer repair experts. Available 24-7 over the phone or in your home or business. Just call 1-800-591-1682. That's 1-800-591-1682. 1-800-591-1682. Warning, if you're drowning in debt you can't afford, do not let the credit card companies trick you into thinking that you have to pay it all back, because you don't. What the credit card companies don't want you to know is that there's actually a way to get debt-free without paying off your entire debt or going bankrupt. If you have $5,000 or more in credit card debt, you now have the right to settle that debt for a fraction of what you owe. For free information, call Credit Associates now. 1-800-959-5759. We'll even show you how much money you could save. If you can't afford to pay off all your debt, do not let the credit card companies trick you into thinking that you have to. Call Credit Associates now for free information on how to get debt-free faster than you ever thought possible without debt consolidation or bankruptcy. We depend on your success and offer a guarantee so there's no risk. For free information, call now. 1-800-959-5759. That's 1-800-959-5759. 1-800-959-5759. 
All right, guys. We're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no. We'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym. My gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room. Weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait. A family hub. Yeah! No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. To find out more, call toll-free 800-848-6333. That's 800-848-6333. Hey, this is Marie D. Jones, the author of This Book is from the future and you are listening to the paracast the gold standard of paranormal radio so jeff you were saying that this was brought to ivan sanderson now ivan sanderson died what in the 70s or 80s is that right well, yeah i can't think of the i don't know the exact date yeah something like that yeah sure and who woman's woman's more recently but yeah, Terry Cullen had brought it to their attention. He brought a contact. He had been uh, corresponded frequently with Sanderson, and and Hoivelmans was happened to be there visiting when Ivan got this report, and so they went and investigated it together. But yeah, it's an interesting, interesting uh, description and case. But I, I could see it going either way. Hoivelman does a really good job too of kind of threading his way through the various potential explanations and he was a strong advocate for this kind of cloak and dagger scenario where uh the body was collected in southeast asia by a, a, a vietnam gi who then secreted it back to the states on a military transport in a coffin or in other baggage or whatever this was a, a means by which you know drugs were presumably brought back to the states on a regular basis and so there was a vehicle a mechanism by which uh, another form of contraband could get past customs and and other uh, obstacles you know I, I, a scenario like that isn't beyond conception but it always just amazed me why someone would think that the best way to exploit if they were out to exploit rather than to further the science that the best way to exploit was to put something like that out for, uh, you know, for a, a, a peekaboo for, for uh, two bits, you know. But I guess that was a fairly lucrative means back in at that day. I guess we, we lose track of what you, can, what you can buy with 25 cents. You know, when I tell my kids I used to buy a candy bar for a nickel, they can't believe. Yeah. <laughs> you can't even buy the wrapper for that now. Right. Well, I was hot on the heels of uh, America's first serial killers in eighteen the eighteen sixties. Uh, the Espinosa uh, brothers, uh, him and his uncle and, and a cousin, uh, bushwhacked uh, at least forty cowboys in, in Colorado. 
uh, someone that's not very well known to most people. Um, and this was over a six month period. The famous mountain man, Tom Tobin, was sent to collect the heads, to, to take them out and collect the heads so he could get a $500 reward from uh, uh, Gilpin, uh, William Gilpin, who was the territorial governor. And so he got them, he found them, he cut their heads off, but he got caught in a flash flood in the Werfano River and lost two of the heads. Oh. But he was able to make it back to Denver from southern Colorado with one head. Uh-huh. He plunked it down on the desk and and was told that there wasn't $500 in the treasury to give him uh, to get him his reward. But Gilpin bought him a suit and took him out to dinner. And so um, Tobin evidently sold the head to a sideshow. And for years, many years, it was displayed in a pickle jar. Oh, <laughs> the, the ghost, the, the head of uh, the notorious... I forget his first name, but it was uh, you know Ernesto Espinosa, and uh, right. no, you know I tried to find out where I, I tracked it for a ways, but you know these things have a way of collecting a lot of quarters and then disappearing into the like dustbin that. of history. Yeah. <laughs> Probably the same thing happened with the Minnesota Iceman. Yeah. Probably ended up uh, you know getting tossed into a landfill or something. Could, could very well have, yeah, very possibly. Well, here's here's another couple of questions. We're kind of running out of time, but. Um, you know, there's been a lot uh, made over the years um, since David uh, Pilates has come out with his Missing 411 books, which uh, detail the many hundreds, even thousands of people that have inexplicably disappeared within national parks. You know, there's always that kind of hint in the, the narrative right. that these people were taken by something. And, of course, the automatic knee-jerk assumption is that uh, that Bigfoot is abducting people for some reason or another or killing them or whatever how does that strike you and and what what do you make of all these disappearances uh, right. some very inexplicable where the bodies are found where people have crisscrossed the area you know many many times piles of uh, carefully cold folded clothing are found uh, some pr- pretty strange uh, circumstantial evidence around a lot of these cases well do you think there's any connection between bigfoot and and all these many disappearances I, I don't know if if they could all be attributed to Bigfoot uh, in in a uniform fashion. I no, that's I highly think, I think it's yeah. I think it's very possible that some uh, disappearances could be attributed there. I mean, I've dealt with a, a couple of instances where there was some good circumstantial evidence and even some eyewitness evidence that pointed to uh, a, a unsolved disappearance being attributable to Sasquatch activity you know i when you look at some of the native american traditions some of the king kong narrative pardon the king kong narrative uh, up in the northwest yeah uh, four years they give the you know they'd actually uh, present uh, the bigfoot uh, with a uh, fair maiden that's right and and there are accounts a couple of credible accounts one one in particular that that i'm familiar with uh, fairly uh, closely that uh, of a uh, a native a tribal woman being abducted, young woman being abducted, and coming back, um, uh, you know, a year later, uh, pregnant, and giving birth to a in this instance, giving birth to an infant that was sickly, gangly, uh, much hairier than typical, never able to learn to speak, and died at a young age of of, of its ills. Wow! I never heard about that one. Whoa. Yeah. And, and that one was confirmed independently by uh, another individual that, you know, we had, we had both ends of the story. The woman had gone off in, into seclusion, was sent to live with relatives out of state, and um, 
when we were doing the documentary shoot in that state, this one guy comes up, and as we're talking, he tells a story about this woman who came down from Wyoming and gave and reportedly gave birth to this, you know, mongrel child that was sick and, and died when it was about eight years old, and it was buried up there on the hill. And uh, it was uncanny because it was absolutely uh, confirmed that it was the same, same circumstance, same time frame, wow. same individual. He even knew the names of the person involved. And, and so uh, it, it was interesting. So there's that possibility that, if, if true, speaks a lot about, you know, this question we were talking about earlier about the relatedness of Sasquatch to humans, right. uh, the ability to hybridize, even if it doesn't produce a viable offspring that, that is, uh, you know, healthy and, and uh, vibrant. But, you know, David is very careful and uh, makes the, uh, makes stresses the point that nowhere in his book does he attribute these occurrences to Bigfoot right. or to any other factor. He simply is, is the he's messenger. Just stating, he's stating the facts. Yeah, he's stating the facts to the best of his ability. Right. There is no evidence to suggest that that is an answer for some or even any of the uh, disappearances. Right. But you know, the uh, one of the names for the Sasquatch in this region is Soavitsa, which is the, uh, or Soavich, which is the eater of children. And, you know, what seemed to be just so stories about snatching and, and carrying off uh, infants took on a whole new dimension for me when a colleague who had worked in the Peace Corps in Africa got a job as a ranger in a park and told me that during his uh, stint there, they had an incident that was kind of hushed up in which a field worker's child that was uh, bundled up down under a bush, parked under a bush while she was a few yards away uh, tilling, um, was snatched by a passing chimpanzee. And before the field workers could chase it down and you know, and, and retrieve it, it had been dispatched and partially consumed by this chimp. Wow. Well, um, and then shortly thereafter, in a much more public fashion, word got out that in that area of Uganda, it, uh, where they were experiencing severe drought conditions, there was a rash of such abductions, and over a seven-month period, 12 individual in, uh, infants or toddlers were snatched by chimpanzees. I'll tell you what, I don't want to be in that area. We've got one more segment to spend with Dr. Jeffrey Meltram. I'm Gene, he's Chris, you're in The Paracast. Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today. We also have swag. You know, we have all these exclusive Paracast things that you can buy. We've got like, I guess, 60 or so different items. And entails t-shirts, sleeves for notebook computers, iPad cases, mouse pads, the Paracast jumbo tote bag, all sorts of t-shirts and jackets and stuff like that for men and women. We have a Paracast aluminum water bottle. All this stuff, you go to store.theparacast.com, store.theparacast.com. What makes it special is that the items are the best quality. You know, great T-shirts, fabrics, and they have our official logo on them. That's what makes them special in multiple sizes and colors. We even have stuff for children. 
stuff for women, stuff for men. We have all sorts of sizes, like small up to X large. A lot of good stuff. That's the swag from the Paracast. If you go to store.theparacast.com, stop by and take a shopping tour. For years, you've looked for safe solutions to protect what you've worked so hard to build. How do you weather the next market correction with confidence? Now there's a way to conquer the technology hurdle and help protect your profits without buying an annuity in any market condition. Introducing WealthGuard from OnTheMarkMoney.com. WealthGuard lets you know in advance if your accounts are dropping, an early warning system that tracks all your accounts. Get WealthGuard today 100% free. Go to OnTheMarkMoney.com. That's OnTheMarkMoney.com. Attention citizens, this man has received national attention for accurately predicting every major financial trend, including the market crash of 2008. His name is Harry Dent, and in his newly released book, he is making even bigger and bolder predictions that have the potential to devastate the world economy and your personal wealth. You can get a free copy of Harry Dent's bestseller, The Sale of a Lifetime, containing never-before-published information by simply visiting www.saleofalifetime.com forward slash free book. Again, that's saleofalifetime.com forward slash free book. This is Dan Pilla. Do you owe the IRS money you can't pay? Are tax debts crippling you? I've defended people from the IRS for over 30 years. I've helped thousands and I can help you too. I wrote the book on IRS settlement and I'm telling you, there's no such thing as a hopeless case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX to finally get free of IRS debt. With the IRS's new programs, there's never been a better time to solve your problem. Call 800-34-NO-TAX. That's 800-34-NO-TAX or my website, danpilla.com. My name is Robin. I'm 47 years of age. I absolutely love One World Whey. It was about five years ago when a trainer told me it was the end all of protein powders. One day when I ran out, I decided to try other brands. I spent eight months and could not find a replacement. I went through tons of brands, types, and flavors, and almost all of them tasted unnatural and not pleasant. When it all boiled down, I came right back to One World Whey. I buy the cost-effective five-pound container and my family craves their one world way too i look forward to and enjoy having my one world way and feel great after i drink it thank you synergistic nutrition for perfecting a protein powder in the product one world way from taste to how it makes me and my family feel you get an a plus plus call 888-988-3325 or visit oneworldway.com that's one world w-h-e-y.com this is Ben Gordon, and if your teeth are stained from coffee, tea, or smoking, Power Swabs is the answer. In five minutes, you'll see two shades whiter teeth, and in seven days, six shades. There's no messy strips or trays that you have to leave in your mouth for an hour. Just swab your teeth for five minutes, and you're done. To try Power Swabs, call 1-800-290-8480. Your bright white smile will have your friends talking about how great you look. Try it risk-free. 1-800-290-8480. That's 1-800-290-8480. This is Micah Hanks of the Gray Alien Report, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. Dare I say it, it's been just touched at the periphery. So some people want to attribute a paranormal explanation to Bigfoot, Sasquatch, whatever, that they appear in window areas that tend to attract paranormal activity. But everything you're talking about is just a physical presence. 
everything, you know, the, the behaviors, even this, this issue now see of child snatching can be accommodated within the natural behavior of great apes. There was an instance, uh, one of my contacts on the reservation told the story that he was familiar with from his grandparents growing up in northern Nevada, where during a very harsh winter, a child was snatched by a Sasquatch. And that was probably the, the seed that planted this notion and and gave rise to this this name of, of snatching children. But the Tsonaqua, the cannibal giantess of British Columbia, of the, the Pacific Northwest, that's what uh, she's known for. Right, and uh, the Wendigo, has, too. Well, yeah. The, the Tsonaqua has these big, oversized hands depicted w- with big, oversized, human-like hands, which she reportedly covers with pine pitch, you know, like an NFL receiver, so she can uh, catch the children and they won't slip out of her hands, pitches them into a basket on her back and takes them home to eat for dinner. But they usually escape because she's rather dim-witted and she often falls asleep and the kids can climb out or pick their way out through the crude uh, basket. But there, there are numerous things like that where descriptions or behaviors attributed to Sasquatch have actually anticipated what we learn eventually about the natural behaviors of great apes or the fossil record of hominid evolution. Yeah. And those examples are fascinating. I mean, how would hoaxers come up with those things? And be so accurate in their depictions. Right. And and why would we have these stories that go all the way back into prehistory right. that filter down through the generations of these wild men or, or in some instances, a race of shamans that decided to go back to the wild? Many descriptions, uh, legendary descriptions in the Native American lore talk about humans that went back into a feral state and occasionally hold the tribe hostage and they have to relinquish a, a maiden or for whatever reason, probably to <laughs> help with the, the gene pool or something. But, you know, of course, as I mentioned, the Wendigo uh, in the Ojibwe and Anishinaabe cultures just above the border there in Canada, around the Great Lakes area, the, the Wendigo is the big hairy cannibal that comes through and snatches a child right. and uh, races off. It would be quite unfortunate if I was hiking along in Yosemite or Rainier National Park or something and have one of my parties snatched by a Bigfoot for reasons unknown. That would be a little dis- disconcerting. <laughs> well, let's let's kind of look forward now, um, since we're, we're running out of time here. Where do you see this type of research uh, progressing? What do we need to think about to further this research? And how can we convince uh, more scientists uh, that this is a uh, a very fruitful avenue of of investigation and and research and 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 to lose the stigma, what can we do? Well, I think one is the recognition of this shifting paradigm in anthropology, for example, away from the single species hypothesis to what we might call a a persistent multi species hypothesis that we have contemporaneity of species throughout history, even into the present. And once a context, once a, a construct within the framework, within this new paradigm is, is it, you know, takes root, then, you know, my colleagues, especially the upcoming generation, will be justified in right. writing a paper or uh, doing an analysis of, of some of this evidence. And I see that coming, you know, are still very important, obviously, is, is the ultimate uh, collection of a, either a type specimen or short of that, a definitive DNA analysis, that's going to be challenging, I really think. You know, if, if this creature is somewhere in that gap between us and chimpanzees, you know, our closest living relative, acknowledged living relative, you know, the, the gap between them and us is very narrow, just a few percentage points in difference in, in DNA. 
sometimes you have to look hard to find those distinctions between us and them. And if you're just doing, you know, a cursory spot check of one particular locus uh, on a limited basis, then uh, what are the chances that you might miss that distinguishing trait that sets a Sasquatch apart from us? So I think it's going to require a dedicated researcher who's willing to invest the time with, with the proper funding but to, re- to dedicate the, his or her time to do this um, completely and thoroughly in order to come to that conclusion. You know, there is no precedent for acknowledging a new species on the basis of DNA alone. Uh, we've traditionally always required a physical specimen. But there is a growing literature now in, in which we find discussions of the uh, propriety of that uh, requirement in cases of endangered or rare species. Can we, in this day and age, now rely upon a voucher specimen of DNA or tissue or, you know, hair sample to establish and recognize a new species? And perhaps Sasquatch will be the best test case of that, you know, to come along if we get to that point. As far as studying them, you know, even if someone walked in with a hair strand or a, a, a chunk of skin and blood that produced definitive DNA... That would just be the beginning of the work we're going to need to do to come to an understanding of just what these things are, what these uh, beings are. And it won't become any easier to collect that kind of data in the field. And so we're going to have to use techniques like, I'm working with a gentleman, we've acquired a 20-foot helium uh, blimp right? that uh, is motor-driven rather than being a stationary you know, uh, type of a, a surveillance device. It's equipped with the best of the best thermal imaging cameras that our payload capacity will permit. And we're chomping at the bit to get out there this uh, next year, next spring, and start using this to do aerial surveys at night, looking for warm bodies. But then, of course, you're going to have to get in there on your feet, boots on the ground to sight verify. And a needle in the haystack, but boy, it's a real leap forward. Well, yeah, compared to just tromping around on foot, or putting uh, game cameras out, I think it's a huge step forward. It's a necessary step forward in order to take this search to the next level. Yeah, it's very proactive. I like it. I love the design of the blimp, too. It's real sexy looking. Well, now, this is a different one. Okay. The, uh, you're thinking of the Falcon Project with that right, catamaran. Right, the Falcon Project, right. That catamaran style. Unfortunately, the funding never came through for that. And so in working with another sponsor, another investigator, with uh, funding directed towards this, you know, instead of a, a $260,000 airship that Mr. Barnes had uh, envisioned and his, you know, engineers had designed, we're, ours cost probably about $20,000, another 10000 for the camera system itself. Well, that's a tenth the price. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I can see a time, too, where we double up. You know, this has an airtime of about a duration of about two and a half to three and a half hours. And so, you know, if you have a contact, I envision us eventually having a sort of a tag team strategy where the second blimp comes up and picks up the tracking while the other one comes back to camp and we swap out the batteries and recharge it and get ready to send it out a couple hours later. And that way maintain surveillance uh, over an area or hopefully over a target throughout the night. I'll tell you what, please keep us informed, Jeff. It does sound sure. fascinating that you're making some progress here and we'll get some real answers in the very near future. Jeff Meldrum, please tell our listeners where they can find more information about what you do. 
Well, I, I'd like to encourage the viewers to go to the Relic Hominoid Inquiry for some, some good scholarly treatment of the subject. That's at isu.edu slash RHI. My publications, Sasquatch Legend Meets Science, can be had through Amazon, a great starting point. And I've also uh, written a couple of field guides, the most recent of which is sort of a synopsis of these dual principles we've been discussing about relic hominoids. If you search my name um, under Amazon and look for Wildman, a field guide for relic hominoids, I think it'll be a good jumping off point. You can find us on Twitter, the PowerCast, on Facebook, and you can also subscribe to the PowerCast Plus. The PowerCast Plus offers the commercial-free version of this show, the After the PowerCast podcast, selections from Paul Kimball's Other Side of Truth, audio and video, a lot more coming for the low price of $4.99 a month. You can also subscribe for a full year, five years, or lifetime. We're offering some samplers over at the PowerCast forums, by the way. And we have links if you check plus.thepowercast.com. Go to plus.thepowercast.com to learn more about the PowerCast Plus. A great gift to those of your friends who enjoy real studies of strange and unusual events on the PowerCast. Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum, thank you for joining us on the PowerCast. My pleasure. The Paracast, featuring Gene Steinberg and Christopher O'Brien, is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in. The Paracast. <laughs>